When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. It's time to remember this crap... And we not only have uh, our usual crap rememberer, Mike Donahue, but we have a special guest. Uh, we have uh, Kelly Dwyer, NBA auteur. I didn't use that word right. Um, but a uh, guy who has uh, also has a uh, exciting Substack, uh, just like Pointless Exercise. His is at tsa.substack.com, the second arrangement. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, Eddie. So uh, we we asked Kelly on. Uh, he's a huge fan of Remember This Crap. Apparently, he's our, he he is our fan, and uh, we're not going to spin the wheel. We uh, we pulled a year out um, that is kind of a typical Cub year for us, but a year near and dear to Kelly's heart. We're going to talk about the 1985 MLB baseball season. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Kelly is one of only two Cardinal fans that I can actually stand the other is your, your brother-in-law correct i'm not going to be committal to um <laughs> you can't stand yeah. your brother-in-law no i don't want him to get a big head because he might what if he's not the other one what if there is another somewhere but uh so yeah we don't have to do the we're not going to spin anything we're not going to do anything we can just dive right in Oh, I'm going to get spun. I'm going to get spun Good. and roasted and 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 destroyed on here. I'm extremely nervous, but as a Cardinal fan, it's I'm owed all of this. We wouldn't beat up on the guest. That's not, that, that's you should nice. beat up on the guest. It's the Kelly Dwyer rotisserie hour. <laughs> all right, Mike. What are five fun facts about the 1985 Cubs? Oh boy, yeah. Good thing I had a week to prepare. Um, I don't know. I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about a 13-game losing streak, which was um, very wild because the Cubs came into the season, um, you know, defending a division championship season sideways, just like that. Opening day starter. Another fact: Rick Sutcliffe, his first ever opening day start. The Cubs outdueled the Pirates at a chilly uh, Wrigley Field. 
which was also fact number three, Dwayne Stats's first game as a Cub uh, broadcaster. He replaced the much maligned Milo Hamilton. And you kind of casually mentioned the other day, Andy, uh, Dwayne Stats, probably in retrospect, probably the finest uh, second banana in that sort of, you know, in that era that we're covering, basically, that at least until Harry died with Len Casper, the sort of second banana to Harry, let's say. You only have three guys, Brenham and I guess being the third one, but uh, it was Dwayne's first season before he took the big bucks in New York a few years later. Uh, also the debut of your favorite Cub on the opening day, Sean Dunstan, <laughs> 20 years old and real fucking raw. Sean with and, an O. Yeah. He as, would, uh, he'd, as one does. He'd be on a Vandergelder uh, out west on uh, I-80 about two months after the season started back to Des Moines. Um, and let's see, fact. Number five, it is true that at one point in the 1985 season, the entire Cubs starting rotation um, that all of, you know, the four of the five, or I guess if you include Dick Ruth and all five that were the top five starters in the 84 season were on the disabled list at one time. So if you're, you know, guessing as to what the fate of the season was at this point, I think I've given enough uh, just with that fact. Not a, not, a, not a great season for the Cubs, but... Okay, so Dwayne stats. Um, it, are we counting Vince Lloyd as someone who would have been? That's a good point because he he was there with uh, with Harry for the first three years, right? Well, it was so when, when Harry comes. Retire, was he around eighty four? Was he gone? He was because I still remember listening to the eight, uh, game five on the radio, and it was a three man booth in the play, in the playoffs with Harry and Lou Boudreau and Vince Lloyd, because Harry, of course, wasn't on television. Uh, eighty two is the one that I can't quite recall. I just know after. All right, so I think we fit, we pieced it together because Milo was was all set to succeed Jack Brickhouse after eighty one before the trap door opened up beneath him, and then he had to work for three seasons with Harry. So I think. I'm not sure what the makeup was before then, other than the fact that Vince Lloyd was primarily radio and Brickhouse may have gone to the radio for innings four, five, and six, in which case I think either Lloyd came over. But at some point I remember, and this is definitely true by 85, that um, while well, Steve Stone would take a crack for the first time ever on that aforementioned opening day against the Pirates, that when Dwayne Stats was hired to be the radio guy the you know, he'd do innings one through three and seven through nine on the radio. Harry would go to the radio innings four, five, and six. However, when, when Dwayne stats came to the TV side in the fourth inning, he was the color guy to Steve stone's first attempt at play by play, which Stoney himself basically aborted after a few years. So usually when that, when by the time Brenneman came along in 1990, he would just do play by play three on the radio, three on TV, three on the, on the radio again. So, so I think we figured out in the '82 one that the broadcast team was just Vince, Vince and Lou on the radio, Milo and Harry on TV, and then Stoney joined in '83. Right. So then there's some sort of a roulette began there, and Vince Lloyd was phased out '84, '85. So yeah, you're right. Vince Lloyd was no there in '84. So maybe maybe Vince Lloyd left after Milo Hamilton. I don't know. So I guess I didn't have it as nailed down as I thought. I don't know. I I can just tell you that the kids who listen to this podcast love um, <laughs> us talking about announcers from four years ago. And guess what? They're all dead, except for Dwayne uh, Stick oh, and Steve Stone. I can't imagine Stone calling play by plays. That would just how do you how do you set up your own Lance McCullers? <laughs> <laughs> 
sleeves. I mean, how, how do you do that on your own? Uh, you can't. Dwayne Stats trying to bob in every – oh, my gosh. That sounds <laughs> horrifying. It was. And I believe he uh, he uh, he kind of ruined Keith Moreland's game-winning homer on opening day. He just he – just, yeah, not ready for prime time. Not then, not ever, probably. Well, do you remember where Dwayne Stats went after his – The Yankees. Wasn't it – like a pioneering cable network was that the the the, the humble beginnings of yes? Maybe? No, it wasn't yes, but it was something. He got b- big money. Cubs couldn't possibly match whatever Dwayne was going to get from the Yankees, so he was gone. They and did then that got us. Points. That got us the wonderful Tom with an H, right? Yeah, Tom. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, yes, yeah, the, the eighty-five Cubs. You know, the eighty-four Cubs. I don't know if people know this. Uh, they almost won the pennant. But people don't talk about it much. Um, and so they they did what you do. They ran it back. It was pretty much the same team coming back, except uh, the diminutive little hard-ass Larry Boa was not going to be the shortstop anymore. It was going to be Shawan Dunstan, the guy they had drafted ahead of D. White Gooden uh, in uh, 1982. Right? Was that Correct. Dallas Green's first draft. So it was going to be the Cubs. It was going to be the 84 club, Cubs, but even better. Yeah, it was exciting, right? Who, who the hell like Larry? Who's going to be a Larry Boas stan? You know? I mean, the guy had the range of a of a garden gnome. He, uh, and he, he, he could, one. A, a completely irrelevant bat. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, like a fiery guy, sure. You know, maybe give some credit for helping bring Sandberg along. I don't know. Why do, run give, out of, why do we have why? to give Larry credit for anything? I do know that the 85 season was the season in which all of a sudden a game in Shea Stadium, Larry had glasses on. And Harry was very excited about that. And he's like, oh, I bet the ball looks like a beach ball to him now. <laughs> well, he couldn't hit a beach ball either. I read the uh, SI preview for the season, and they, they highlighted the Boa versus Dunstan uh, <laughs> pairing in spring training, and they're trying to uh, explain the other sides of the coin, and they're like, well, Boa hit 223 of the big leagues last year, and had some, and, and, and Dunstan had 231 in Tidewater last year, and you, you read on, and you think, wait, 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 did I just read that right? He out-hit him in AAA, and he with 220. In the yeah, it's it's probably time. But Boa was was he was ready. He was doing Boa stuff, trying to get him out of there. He saw the he yeah. saw, well, he didn't see the handwriting on the wall because it was above five ten. But, but right. he he tried pull, pull the chair. You know that's that's five time national. Is he beloved All-Star. even in Philadelphia? Well, nobody's beloved in Philadelphia, right? Isn't that a rule of thumb? Even the yeah. greats, yeah, not even not even Santa Claus. Um, Chris Pringle. Boa, I mean, it, it, it's fair to mention, too, that Boa, in, in, coming into 1985, was a 39-year-old shortstop. But I'm stuck on, Kelly, uh, your summary of the SI article. I mean, you mentioned Tidewater. Obviously, you meant Des Moines. But did Dunstan really perform that poorly the previous year? Did the Cubs – I mean, we always suspected the Cubs rushed wait, Dunstan. and it probably mean, with the Cubs promoting a player who wasn't Cubs? ready? No, possibly right, do right. that, that to get yeah, rid of the, the guidance of Larry Bow in that clubhouse. Good. Why would they want Corey to Patterson hurry that what? along? 
Tidewater. I must have been thinking Greg Jeffries or Lee Mazzilli or something. Sure, um, well, yeah, we, we were on the. We mentioned the Mets, but no, but I think the <laughs> the, the, the salient point was uh, yeah, two thirty versus two twenty versus triple A versus uh, the majors. They, right. And, they mentioned errors, and Schwan had something like one hundred and forty or something like that. Yeah. But no one cares about that. That's, I'm pretty that's, sure he uncorked one on opening day. I mean, he made his presence oh, wow. known right away. Like he had a great arm, and you know, Durham was a good first baseman, but. Uh, and then, of course, I think Grace ended up being more known as the guy that had the thankless task sometimes of, you know, knocking down some of those. Maybe, you know, he threw. He was built My, my dad, My dad always theorized. I never showed you. My dad always used to theorize that Dunstan, the Cubs should have moved Dunstan to center field. I don't know if that has any merit or if it would have made a bit of difference, but it seemed kind of a, what do you, a strange what do you suggestion. Mean, he would have, would have drawn have more put... walks in center? I mean, wasn't I don't know, most right? of his value the fact that he was a shortstop? <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, he never did really. Un- he, although he was, we talked about this. He was as a offensive player, as meek as his numbers look now, uh, a bit of an outlier because, as we've also discussed ad nauseum, uh, just like the, the sort of uh, like the malnourished looking prototypical shortstop for about twenty years from the seventies and eighties. Your Johnny Lamasters, or you know, your Mark Belangers. They're just like reedy. You're Larry, Larry Bowen. Abs- and Larry, Larry, the aforementioned Larry Boa. So, like, you know, Dunstan, of course, you know, Ripken kind of broke the mold in 82, but uh, Dunstan and Larkin kind of came up. And, you know, the, eventually there became higher expectations for offensive output. But even in his time, Dunstan was an above average offensive player. But Kelly's right. He did bat 233. Um, but he, oh. he split time in 84 yeah. between middle, but he's still 61, 217 plate appearance. He was struggling. And well, also, follow up on that the, the, the Cubs AAA affiliate was in Tidewater that season. They Cubs AAA it. affiliate was in they moved it just Iowa. For that, just for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That it's must have been water. in the Sid Finch uh, baseball preview. I apologize. <laughs> All right. So in 84, he started at Midland and he hit 329 with a 354 on base and a 423 slug. He struck out 38 times <laughs> in 298 at bats. Not terrible, but a lot. <laughs> yes. And then he went to Iowa and he did not perform well by any measure 233, 247, 395. Probably uh, not. Uh, hey, next year he's our starting shortstop on this team. We think is going to win a World Series. So right. Did you guys have like another a year of development? Was there a Bo Hart in there? Was there was was there a scrapper? Was there an X time? Was there someone that was right. gonna, like, how, like fill the fill the bridge in there cheaply for? All right, uh, so for, Bo, uh, that's uh, a great question. That's a great for question. Uh, Andy could probably tell you who Bo's backups were in '84. One was an equally ancient Tom Verizer. Uh, oh, the, the other the other was Dave Owen, though. But you know, Dave, Spike's brother and the guy with the game winning hit in the Sandberg game. But uh, Dave Owen, I guess, was just not. You, you couldn't stretch him enough to. He's for no, Dunstan, he's to the no thirty-nine spike. year he's old. No spike. Larry Bowen posting him up, just, just throwing bows <laughs> over the top of him. I was like, "Who's this guy hitting me in the eyes? I'm gonna have to get glasses." <laughs> it looks like the uh, the guy who got the is, it, is this going to be the most? No, yeah, the guy who played the most games at shortstop for the '85 Cubs. Okay, I guess. Was Chris Spire in the 85 Cubs? It's Chris yes. Spire. Yeah. I just Chris popped Spire. into my head. Guy who once no, so as a coach of the Cubs got a DUI on the way home from a game. Right, at a motorcycle, yeah. I believe. Or a like, moped or something. Yeah. Yeah, Probably moped. had no shoes on. On his motorcycle. Well, 
I, I remember being a, like, not a Sox coach, but a Cubs coach. <laughs> right, right. I remember being briefly excited only because Chris Spire was, you know, he was the uh, he was on that Expos team that was good. Apparently, you know, he was you know not really on that level of all of that talent that they had. But hey, Chris Spire, I know that I know him, and he's not Larry no commodity. Yeah, and and poor Sean had to get sent back to Iowa after a couple months in '85, so needed some seasoning. Be interested here. So Sean ended up with, you know, fairly respectable numbers. Eighty-five, six ninety-eight OPS for well, yeah, a t- it's fucking sixty-twenty-two-year-old. Yeah. Twenty-two-year-old thrown to the wolves. Uh, okay, so here's what happened. First half, he played twenty-three games before he got sent down. He hit one ninety-four, two sixty-six on base, three nineteen slug. After some seasoning, actually, he people forget he originally got on the bus and he went to Tidewater. That cost him a few days. <laughs> He then got on another bus and got to Des Moines. Some idiot Cardinal fan gave directions. Tidewater? What? Um, Sean came back and played in 51 games in the second half. He hit 287 with a 328 on base, 416 slug. He wow. hit, uh, hit 22. three homers. So not bad. Yeah. So then we were excited about um, about 1986, Sean Dunstan. And then we were yeah. excited until... 1988, right. Well, yeah, 88, he was an all-star. When he made the all-star team in 1988, and Whitey fucking Herzog wouldn't play him. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he didn't play. Only player didn't play. Not that I was upset. Uh, You just took a whack at Kelly. I'm going to jump to another one. Uh, This is the only season between 1982 and 1993 in which Ryan Sandberg was not rightfully voted to be the starter in the all-star game because Kelly's people jammed with ballot boxes. For Tommy Herz, like, hot first two months of the 85 season. You want to hear get a home run? What's that? Tommy, would you say something about uh, single-digit homers a, but still having 100 a single home run. Did he have a, <laughs> right. one home run before uh, July 8th? Well, one year he had nine homers and 100 RBIs, which was impressive, but also, I don't know. It wasn't maybe. this year because he only had eight home runs. Only had eight. So you want to hear a horrible story about, uh, about 1988? I'm going to tell you that anyway. Even though it's the 85, it, this, it, relate, it tracks somehow. It's a big year. 1988, growing up on a farm, northern Illinois, horrible drought. Had a drought. Corn, you know, you could hear it curling up and dying in the fields. Hottest uh, summer ever. The only thing, you know, the, the only, my only respite from, you know, the angst going on in my house was the Cubs had all these all-stars. Vance Law was an all-star, for God's sakes. I mean, you couldn't shake a tree and a Cub all-star and fall out of it. Looking really forward to the all-star game. It was also, uh, the week of the all-star game was football camp. So I went to football camp. Come Monday night, go to football camp, hotter than hell, get through it, thinking, all right, tomorrow, get to watch the All-Star game. It's going to be great. Dad picks me up, doesn't say a word. We get almost home, and he's like, I got to tell you, I got some bad news. Our neighbor had run over our dog and killed him. <laughs> the next to that, it's like, oh, God, things can't get any worse. I you know, I somehow gut through football camp the next day, get home. The only thing that's going to that's gonna be the salve to my wounds is watching my favorite player play in the All-Star game. And he was the only player who didn't play in the All-Star game. Wow. Thank you, Whitey. That's I should tough. have told I had an entire afternoon with Whitey once, and I should have fucking done nothing but yell at him for that. But I didn't. I'm, I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, along those same lines, I got grounded the day before, and I was not able to watch the uh, All-Star Gala on TBS or TNT. No, TBS, because TNT wasn't around then. Uh, 
because I'd I'd uh, attempted to feed a cheeseburger or part of it to a cat. So that's kind of related. But I ju- was genuinely told that I couldn't watch the All Star Gala, and I remember being sent to my room and going, "Oh no, I have to go down and turn off the TV that is currently showing the MLB All Star Gala, and because uh, can't leave the TV on in the den." And so I went and turned it on, and there was Gary Carter and his perm being interviewed, and I I couldn't watch it, and I had to go over and flip it off and go up to my room. But we didn't have a dog, so I'm, I'm I didn't sorry either. About that Andy. After that, I didn't <laughs> <either>. <laughs> just for a few weeks. Then we went and got a dog. We actually went and we bought a dog from the same place we had bought a dog before we got, and so that was Fred that got run over. We got like his half brother Rex. A few. Um, but a few weeks later, Rex was the the famous three legged dog that we had. He was four legged at the time. He ended up three legged. But uh, yeah, but I'll always that's what I'll always think of. Nice so Ozzy, 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 and Barry Larkin were the only other all shortstops. I just looked it up. So his guy Ozzy, although you know, even with Kelly here, I'll admit that it was hard for me to get my ire up over Whitey Herzog. How many bats did I get? Eight. Is he for eight? Yeah, really. Oh, Sean, I mean, we, I don't sitting on the bench. I'm ready. I'm ready. Skip. I'm ready to go ahead. No, no, you have to. Thirty-nine-year-old Ozzy slapping around on Riverfront Astro Troop in a two-to-one game where Terry Steinbach wins the MVP. We can get Schwan in there. Schwanometer was around in July '88. I saw it. Five All Stars. Throw him a bone, Whitey. Didn't have to play him at shortstop. Hey, they could have. Why didn't they listen to your dad? They could have played him in center field. That's didn't right. Shortstop. Yeah. That's the problem. They would isn't have it, to put up nets. Isn't, isn't it Chris Bryant has been in three all-star games and he's only played third base in one of them? He got ah, third base like in three times and the only it, one was it, when he started. It, interestingly, the starting center fielder was uh, Andre Dawson of the Cubs in the all-star game. Mm. Also, also – you can hear his knees click all over the turf at Riverfront. Also, the the only other two center field, the, the only the only other two center fielders listed: Willie McGee and Andy Van Slyke. Mm. Boy, it seems like a Jeez. lot of Cardinals. Yeah, 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 but he wasn't a Cardinal then, was he? Who? So oh, he's a he's a pirate. Van Slyke in '85 with uh, no. in '80. Oh, the '88 All Star game. He'd been oh, traded. 88. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wrong. We, I detoured yeah, us we into spoke, the wrong yeah, all-star. Yeah, All right, we got to so steer so back. Lean into the steer into the skid and back to 1985. 85. And get with the Cubs, it really it was a skid, pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Um, I I, I can without even looking it up. I'll just jump into it. And the, for those who don't know, uh, we already referenced it, right? Kids, uh, Cubs first playoff appearance in 39 years, get off to a hot start. They're cruising in first place early June. They go to Montreal, and this is why I remember it. Uh, Monday night baseball, which we've talked about. That was the thing. Never nearly as big as Monday night football. Um, but it was, uh, you know, in the summer, ABC would put on a national game. I think they would regionalize it a little bit, but there'd be one quasi-national game. And the Cubs and the Expos, uh, Cubs are kind of on a roll here in early June. I don't know the date yet. I didn't pull it up. It but uh, Jeff Weird. June 10th, Cubs yeah. 34-19, have a three-game lead in the NLE. A future Hall of Famer, Jeff Reardon, comes into the game to nail it down for the Expos, and everyone's like, ooh, Jeff Reardon, his nickname's the Terminator. And then the Cubs scorched him, and a young Tim McCarver very cheekily uh, declared that Jeff, the Cubs have rendered Jeff Reardon the ex-Terminator. <laughs> so ooh, we all we all like a fawn in my nail. Yeah, pretty good one. Pretty good one for McCarver there. Cubs run the next game. 
Expos were always good around then too, right? Even though they had already like purged themselves of Dawson and Ellis Valentine and but and, and Gary Carter, but they still had Tim Raines and uh and the and the and the expo salvaged the next two uh the next two games and all right, big deal. All right. Uh, come back uh, home to play the Cardinals. I don't know what happened the Friday game. Just know, obviously, they lost because they're three games in. And I went to the Saturday game. My dad, my sister, and I, we sat in the bleachers. And, you know, the interesting thing, too, about 85 is that uh, after 84, Dallas Green allowed bleacher tickets to be sold in advance. It outraged some purists, but it was very convenient. It was always easy to go to games in the bleachers. We could buy four tickets, and if we don't get four people, it's easy to sell a ticket, blah, blah, blah. That's probably why, we, you know, there were three of us. But we, my dad bought, like, four tickets for, like, four or five games, and if you couldn't sell it, it was easy enough to drive down there and get, sell it on the street. But we went to this game, and I only mention it because we got there late, had to have, because we're sitting basically underneath the scoreboard. And all I can remember is that Jack Clark uh, hit one out onto the street. And, you know, visually, it's very interesting to sit up underneath that scoreboard and just watch the trajectory of the ball. Still a four-game losing streak. You know, I no big deal. Um, it's you know, veterans of the, right. of the four-game yeah. losing streak. Process. They get swept on Sunday and Sunday. Now, Andy, I know you have. I, I guess I, I've taken the reins here, but you're gonna have to. You, you have a similar story in that on Sunday for me was oh, when God. I shipped off uh, to the Jerry Sloan <laughs> basketball camp, <laughs> and I, I was a very middling basketball. Player. I made the seventh grade team by the skin of my teeth. My friend's parents, you know, my friend had done it the year before, and they couldn't stop talking about it. And the selling pitch was that while Brian was a a bench warmer last year, but he wouldn't even have been that if he didn't go to this camp, you know, <laughs> Jerry a little bit Sloan, of pressure. Jerry Sloan time. Everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, take a charge. So I can work boots and a John Deere hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I convinced my parents to go and it was exciting. We drive down to Aurora university. I mean, I, you know, I, you grow up in the suburbs, you don't leave. We went outside of a trip to Florida <laughs> and St. Louis. Like, well, I went all the way to Aurora the for, the, for the exotic <laughs> right. locales like Aurora, right. Illinois. And Aurora University, the prestigious campus, and it was fun. You're, you're a kid. You're on your own. You're with one of your buddies. You get to meet all these other kids. We we ship in Sunday night. The Cubs have lost five in a row. That's all right. We wake up the next morning. We have a nice breakfast in this cafeteria. Uh, and then we we go and, like, all right, we're going to start. We're going to see Jerry Sloan, who for – uh, for us kids then, 13 years old, Jerry Sloan was the coach of the last good Bulls team with Reggie Theus and Artis Gilmore and, and, and Ronnie Lester. And, and, and then, you know, before the Jordan era, but Sloan had been forced out by Rod Thorne or whatever. And he kind of resurfaces in Utah as not a coach, but like a, he was an office guy, maybe GM Frank Layden was the coach of the jazz, but nevertheless, doesn't matter. It's the summer. It's Jerry Sloan's camp. He was there last year and we're, we're all getting ready. And, and also, and this old timer comes out who I learned from my friend's dad, apparently was some sort of a local legend at Aurora University. Kelly, you can look him up. Grail Gilkey. Hey, you're a basketball oh, guy. This can oh, add to your revenue. You can really get granular here. Ray was the guy who cut the bottom of the peach basket out. Hey, not Ray. Ray. His name was Grail. It was like some Grail, old that's... ass American name. I don't know from the country. G R A Y A L. Uh, and, and he was already an old ass guy. And there's an old guy with a paunch and like white hair. And he's basically telling us, "Well, Jerry Sloan's not here because this is the week of the NBA." And I'm like, "What the fuck? Really? Like, so Burns? <laughs> what a ripoff!" Jerry Sloan basketball camp. Asterisk. Jerry Sloan not included. 
Well, so like, oops, I forgot the draft. And then I think, then I thought about it today when I played it over my head. I'm like, well, you know, the NBA was very disorganized. This is early David Stern era. It's possible. The end, you know, the NBA as recently as three years earlier in '81 was showing the NBA Finals on tape. So like maybe the NBA didn't have the date set, but Jerry Sloan did. <laughs> hey, and he just realized, oh, you guys make shit. it next Wednesday for the York. draft. <laughs> right. Who yeah, can make it like, Wednesday? Wednesday? I don't know. I know the draft is on the 23rd because we're out the car. I got soybeans that are always getting a little rigid this time of year. Yeah, red. <laughs> hey, red. When would either one of you? Which one? When do you want to have the draft? All right, we're doing it on Wednesday. Did so, they, did they yeah, dramatically, like, you know, they come off the camp and then somebody says, you know, uh, playing the role of Jerry Sloan this week will be grailish, <laughs> geeky, whatever his name it was. Fa- it took a while to sink in. Like, no, seriously, where's Jerry Sloan? Like, all right, what? Like, why? Uh, this is why we're, half of us are here. We want to see Jerry Sloan, the old Bulls coach. And, you know, the, obviously the earlier generation, we know him as the the, the the feisty guard with Norm Van Leer and Tom Borwinkle and Chet Walker and Bob Love. But he was very well known, and it felt like we got sold a bill of goods. And then, you know, to accentuate the disappointment after dinner, uh, we climb into a couple of somebody's uh, dorm room to watch another edition of Monday Night Baseball, where the Cubs finally face their bitter rivals from this season before the New York Mets. And like Bob Dernier is not even there. Like who the fuck is Darren Jackson? Like this is bad. And then of course the Cubs lose. Now the losing streak's getting kind of embarrassing. It's six. Then we, the next day we're at camp, and then the the other disappointment now on top of all of this at the time we we proved we didn't know what we we're talking about. But Grail Gilkey when he assembles us, on, we're all sitting on the floor for the next day. And day two of the Jerry Sloan uh, basketball camp with Grail Gilkey, Aurora University coaching legend. Uh, he At one point, he started – every time we would break, he would read us the updated results of the draft. And so that's when we're sitting around and we learned that the Bulls drafted Final Four participant Keith Lee. And we're all very excited, only to learn uh, shortly thereafter that he had been traded for Charles Oakley, which obviously Jerry Krause knew what he was doing there. Uh, but nobody knew who the hell Charles Oakley was. Charles, well, Charles Barkley? Wait. You know what happened, right? So he makes the pick, and then Jerry gets a look. You know, he's watching the game. What would that have been on? Was that on USA Network? Was it even on USA, TV? Yeah. TBS or USA? Yeah. So uh, they somehow find <laughs> Keith Lee and his mom, and Jerry looks and says, oh, those his mom's hands are way too fucking small. No way. There's just no way. We're like I was, I was watching sixty four thousand dollar pyramid on USA Network earlier, and Dick Clark is just, just looking like you know two to three inches wider than this lady right now. So there's no way we can keep this pick. <laughs> But yeah, so the, the Cubs do end up getting swept by the Mets. It was just torture. I mean, I, I have no, not much more to say. You can look it up. Uh, the Cardinals then, came, you know, the Cubs go to St. Louis for the second end of the ass kicking, and uh, you know, it eventually came to an end. The Cubs were still over 500 at the end of it. And then the last thing I'll say is how angry our family got when Ron Rappaport of the Sun Times wrote an article that pointed out that no team that had lost 13 games uh, in a row had ever, mm. you know, based basically made the playoffs. What are you talking about? The Cubs are still over 500, you know, and Ron Rappaport proved to be correct. Way to go, Rap. That's the stats ruining baseball. <clears throat> I got I got another stat that'll ruin your day. Tommy Hurd was batting 368 in the first game of that, that Cubs-Cardinal series. Ooh. How? 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 I ask. Besides that clickety-clack of the blacktop underneath that AstroTurf. Well, that's it, right? Just like seeing eyeballs, they hit maybe, you know, you got to make decent contact, but, you know, shooting them through. So I worked with a guy um, who, he was our age, he was an HR director for a while, and we could just tell he was full of shit, like all the time. He was just, he had these, his, the stories he had were always ridiculous. 
and he had lived in St. Louis for a while. Actually, I think he probably was, uh, maybe he was, he might be doing HR for one of the strip clubs in Saugat. But um, he was, somehow he was, he, he was, <clears throat> he was connected with the, uh, with St. Louis. And he was on a committee that was uh, doing some kind of, uh, they were raising money to buy bikes for underprivileged uh, Missourians. Uh, not, you would think they'd focus their money out like on dental work, but they were, they were worried about the bikes. So, um, Tommy Herr was like the face of this campaign. And, uh, this guy got picked at the end of the, you know, it was very successful. They bought a bunch of bikes for people and uh, for kids, I guess. And he got to go to Bush stadium before a game and he got to s- symbolically present Tommy Herr with a bike. Which that doesn't make any sense, really. We're we raising money to give them to the kids. We're going to get gonna one. Bring of the out the bike. <laughs> it's going to make sense to everyone. Tommy rides it around the warning track. <laughs> so anyway, Chuck is really excited, and he's uh, he gets to go out on the field and stand at home plate with the bike, uh, probably a nice huffy. And uh, Tommy comes out, shakes his hand, and <laughs> Chuck tries to like give him the bike, like here, it's yours, take it. And Tommy looks at him and goes. I got to play a fucking game. What am I supposed to do with the bike? <laughs> he's like, can you get it to my house? And he's like, well, can't I just, can't you take it home? Like, what well, can't, this is going to fit in my car. <laughs> he's like, well, what do you want me to do with it? Because I don't care. You can keep the damn thing. So there's Chuck, like, arguing with Tommy Hurt on the field. After the, you know, I'm sure the St. Louis fans give him the polite clap. Oh, that's nice. Like, why are they still talking? Tommy's mad. <laughs> you take the bike. So Chuck ended up, Chuck rising ended up, off the astroturf. Chuck ended up with Tommy Hur's bike because uh, Tommy couldn't fit it in his, I don't know what, oh, wow. uh, what you know, his Corvair or whatever he was driving at the time. It yeah, fit, Fiero. Fit right. I was going to say Fiero. Yeah. The engine's oh, yeah, back perfect. there. You can't put oh, a bike yeah, back there. The Cardinals were all Fieros back then. Pretty much. All Fieros and yellow Corvettes. Exton so. special. Okay, so yes, I was at my. I went to basketball camp the exact week you were at basketball camp. I went to uh, my much more prestigious basketball camp. Mine was at the University of Dubuque, because that's Ooh. you know that's that's it's a big when time basketball think, camp. When you think basketball, you think you know yes. the banks of the Mississippi you River. Think, between you think Wisconsin head coach John Davison, not that's incredible, John Davidson, <laughs> not John, the guy from the this Kentucky Supper Club fire, John Davidson, right? The Notre Dame grad, or Beverly yeah. Hills uh, <laughs> Supper Club fire, but John, the, the Dubuque one. Yeah, John did Davison. this one not? Did this one not have a D in his name? Is it Davison? Davison, no D, Davison. no two. There is a D, but it's not right next to each other. Like elephant book. Got it. No. Um. So yeah, we we went to Dubuque. So we went. The Cubs were having. We're in the midst of their. What we just assumed was gonna be like five or six game losing streak, and you know, these are the defending National League ah. East champs. They're gonna be fine. Um, Pick themselves back up. And we were there for a week, and we didn't. I don't. It's Iowa. Uh, they didn't have televisions. So we couldn't really monitor uh, what was going on. Um, but I was shocked and appalled when on the, I guess we probably finished up on, I don't know, Friday, maybe, maybe that's how long the camp was. And yeah, everybody's we parents show up and you get to see the kids, you get to see what we learned. We're all, we're going to scrimmage and a high quality camp where they, uh, we split into shirts and skins. It's like, wait a minute, guys, do we get, a, <laughs> do we get a t-shirt? Anything? Hey, it's no? 1985. What, what did we pay for? Uh, Dad's like, oh, the Cubs haven't won since you lo- since you left. I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. Um, so that wasn't good. Yeah, it was rough. That was the year, though, that I um, one of the one of the best parts of going to basketball camp, right, was you got to go, you got to like eat 
food in like the cafeteria. It was yeah, great. You, you got some stuff. You got some ice cream. Like a, right. Yeah. And when you're yeah. 13, right. Was, it, it, that's one of the things that stands out more than anything was, yeah. was the food. Well, there's Absolutely. some idiot that goes up to the pot machine and puts a little bit of every flavor in the thing and then tells everybody how great <laughs> it is and everybody's got to try it. And we're like, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> we did that. I ate something one of the days that didn't quite agree with me. And this is what I remember about year one of, of, uh, Best. We went. We went back the next year because it was so good. Oh, repeat customer. Um, I'm walking from the cafeteria back to the field house, and some of the older campers, because I'm, you know, 1985, I was 12, and they're uh, so some of the like high school kids. They're you know around a different schedule than us, and they're walking by, and they're like, mm, we're cool. And I, <laughs> I just barfed all <laughs> over <laughs> the sidewalk. Just let it all out. <laughs> <laughs> so then I show up and I'm like I, I, I'm like I don't feel terrible now. So I right. tell like my coach, my coach. I thinking back, my coach was probably like 14. You know, like, so I mean, you coach this right. team, and I'm like I just <laughs> like, I just barfed all over out there. He's like, you think you can play? I'm like, yeah, let's see. And I was like, <laughs> the resiliency of a 12 year old. No protocols in place. So then once time. I knew I wasn't like sick, sick, then it was like, oh, I'm telling everybody, oh, you should have seen it. I barfed all over out there. <laughs> yeah. That was the best. Yeah. What I do remember the next year was so there was a kid that year. Oh, there's one horrible. <laughs> I got the second horrible story. There was one of those high school kids picked on, like, he was, he was, he was, he was, our, he was a bully. He was being mean to us. And he was really a dick. We didn't like him. And I remember, um, I don't remember his name, but I remember that he went to uh, he went to Makokata High School in Makokata, Iowa. I don't know why I remember that, but I remember it because they, they had like their whole team there. And he was a dick. And we were going back the next year, like we're all we're riding, and one of our moms or dads is driving, you know, us to Dubuque. And we're like, "Did that guy will be there? Oh, he was a prick." Blah 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 blah. And we're kind of dreading even having to run into this guy. Wow, we remembered him. We remembered him. So we get there, and the first day they have us. We're all sitting Indian style. Around the you know on the gym floor and the John the electric John Davidson's walking around getting us all fired up, and he has to start with a very somber. He's like, I have to. I don't know, guys. Uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but la- but over the over the winter, there was an accident. The kid who bullied us was dead. <laughs> and we're like looking at each other like, yeah, that motherfucker's out here. This is gonna be great. Right, he's not here. Right. Oh, it sounds you know, like it, was, it sounds like he was in like a in a snowstorm in Iowa. He, you know, snow a snowplow ran over him. I don't know what happened, but he died. We were like, "Y'all worth now we're thirteen and we're still assholes." We're like, "Oh, thank God he's not going to be here. That'll be good." Right. And that wasn't the only death that we had to deal with, though. That we had a roll. We had a roll call. Oh God, it was like the uh, the Oscars. What? So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of our one of our friends, for some inexplicable reason, was a huge Celtics fan. He just he was. And I like the Celtics. In year two of the basketball camp, like now we had I don't know if we had a USA Today. We had we somehow had a way to keep track of what was going on, and the NBA draft happened. Oh God! And the Brad Sellers draft. Oh, <laughs> so he he gets all excited because the Celtics drafted Len Bias. <laughs> so for a day, he's telling us about, oh, Len, he's better than Jordan. He's going to kick the bull's ass. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And the very next day, we look at the paper, and the headline of the sports pages, Len Bias is dead. <laughs> like a prank. Like someone pasted it in there with actual paste. Like, we're going to show Jimmy over there. We're going to say he died of a drug overdose overnight. 
He tried. thought of a lady crying. I was Red Arbeck with a somber face. We're going to totally freak out Terry and all his buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Jordan. <laughs> no, 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 really. He, he went back to his dorm and died. It was very tragic. <laughs> like Lefty Drizel. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Only time in his life he ever tried cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's terrible. Um, interestingly, I, I quick uh, a quick internet sleuthing tells me that your old guy, Coach John Davidson, celebrated his 80th birthday in 2019. He actually maybe he must have been a young fellow when he was running those camps. He was handsome. Yeah, he, was, uh, he wasn't. He was no Grail Gilkey. Who I looked no, him up. Right there's, there's, a, there's a Tribune article out on the firewall because I'm a cheap ass from April, and it starts. Who is the only man in the East Aurora and the West Aurora Hall of Fame? And apparently, that it's an article about Grail Gilkey. Oh, so. Because he's yeah. so not old, John, he was coaching John. them when they were well, Aurora. It's Grail Gilkey still alive, then. Yeah, not a former you. NIU Huskies head coach. Your, your guy, John, friend, was friend of mine and Dave Kaplan, John McDougal. McDougal. He was only at, he was only at West Aurora. Got it. Well, he probably knew Grail Gilkey. Where he had where he coached Kenny Battle. Yes, before he trained no, in high school. He probably didn't coach Kenny Battle in high school. He coached him at Northern, and when McDougal got fired, Kenny said, fuck this, and he went. That's why McDougal left. Didn't want to work with Joey Myers, Acolyte, Rick Molinari, who would <laughs> take them to the tournament my, fre- my freshman year in 91 and lose to St. John's and the late Malik Seeley. Talk about dead people. Sorry. So, um, we had tickets to a game on Wednesday, June 26th. Cubs and the Mets. Been looking forward to it forever. Until all of a sudden it wasn't because the Cubs were free-falling down the, down the standings. Holy cow. And um, see, what was the pitching matchup? I'm sure I remember it. Um, it, was, it was Sid Fernandez and... Cubs immortal Ray Fontenot matching up. Good Cubs have lost 13 in a row. Where we drag our ass all the way from Podunk Duran to Chicago to watch the Cubs, and the Cubs broke their 13 game losing streak. A resounding seven to three win over the Mets. Yeah, we're back, baby. Yeah, even after the 13 game losing streak, Cubs are 36 to 32. Yeah, yeah. It's just a blip. Be fine. I would have lost my mind to cut breaking things like that. Bust out of camp like that. Go straight to the to the to the gold of, of, of crashing the streak. That's incredible. <laughs> That's right. Plus you're you're the next generation Cubs fan. You're post black cat. You got the power Correct. of eighty four behind. We live with eighty four. Andy this is, not, this is the turnaround. You said at the beginning, you know, I with uh Dripping with irony that you know eighty four, you know, it's implying that yeah, you know, it's not a season you hear a lot about, but it really isn't compared to. It's like it does, you don't hear it as much as sixty nine, which, whatever. But yeah, it, you still hear about it because it was pretty uh, epochal. The only other thing I for, I wanted to add that I had forgotten this happened, but uh, the one year anniversary of the Sandberg game occurred during the thirteen game, and I just remember it happening. I already committed that date to memory, and the Cubs were playing the Cardinals again, and uh, it was it was. All, I remember feeling as a kid when I was thirteen that John Tudor, who was like at that point in time, seemed just ridiculously unhittable. And I see now it was a seven nothing game. I'm pretty sure Tudor threw like a one hitter, but I remember even as a kid, just like Jesus Christ, how far have we fallen from a year like you know a year earlier? Sandberg's hitting homers off of Bruce Souter and things are alive, and now they're like just dragging to it. At that point, it was their twelfth consecutive loss. But yeah, like you said though, too, it was still June. They're still over five hundred. 
And Ron Rappaport's full of shit if he doesn't think the Cubs are going to make the playoffs. <laughs> Fuck Rapp. What a prick. You know, on the Cardinals at this point, point of this John Tudor uh, flame throwing have have Willie McGee and Tom Herr both batting 350. Also, Cub wow. favorite Ivan DeJesus also batting 350. <laughs> I, I don't know how I said Ivan DeJesus' name without saying it in a hairy voice. I guess hey. Dempster's just ruined Harry for everyone, but it's just it's my top hairy name. Yeah, Tudor, complete game. Look at that. So I didn't remember that. So so Ivan DeJesus played for the 85 Cardinals. Does that mean – so Ozzy was just his backup that year? Playing third base, they benched him, they benched him for Avon. Jesus. I know you've won a few Golden Gloves, Ozzy, but you're no Avon de Jesus. So take a seat. <laughs> if I could, if I could sit Sean Dunstan on All Star Game someday, I sure as hell could sit you. <laughs> Flipping around on the field like, <laughs> like some kind of spastic. Oh, so this was. So this is post Ken Oberkfell. Then. Yes, they moved because well, they, yes. they got Pendleton. So Oberkfell oh, was right. the third base, right, Kelly? Oberkfell was the yeah. third baseman on the 82 team, the world, actual World Series winner. Right. And then Pendleton made his way. And Oberkfell actually had been a second baseman until the much-discussed Tommy Herr uh, supplanted him. And then Oberkfell moved to third to replace your buddy, Ken Reed, Sandy. Yeah, you can't keep that athleticism in the – you got to you put that at third. you got to put that <laughs> in the right. corner. you got to let those uh... – <laughs> Uh, those overflowing boundaries of that elastic uh, light blue waistband. Uh, yeah, come on. you got to move that stuff to where it counts. <laughs> Second base. That's Tommy Hurt territory. Okay, but yeah, but so, even, even then it was short-lived because Pendleton was there by now. Right? 85 was Pendleton there? Yeah. Yeah, 85 was Pendleton. Okay. Getting, uh, giving us a whopping 591 OPS of the third base position. Ooh, Wow. He was yeah. a future MVP, but not for the Cardinals. Not for the Cardinals. Let him go for Toddy Zeal. Did and, he? Uh, yeah. Well, drink to another Todd Zeal reference. He's been mentioned before on this thing. Oh, he, the '95 podcast was all about. He's the 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 second. To, the Cubs have only made one or two trades since then, and you wouldn't even remember them, I believe. Right? Like that was like the last legit Cubs Cardinals trade was. Well, until uh, until they trade Wilson Contreras for Yachty coming up here next week. Um, that would never happen because the Cardinals would never trade Yachty for well, right. But so I just a cursory look. I so this is this is shows how good the '85 Cubs were. Um, you mentioned the the John Tudor shutout in the middle of the losing streak. So I was zipping through the thing and I I clicked on a game and it was uh it was an eight nothing uh win. It was a one hitter by John Tudor. And then I realized that wasn't the game you were talking about, and I zipped up to that one. That was a seven nothing two hitter by John. <laughs> yeah, see, my memory is validated. F Tudor was like, I was, I feared him, and I don't know why. He was like a, you know, on a well, he had a, he had a ridiculous year that year. He did. Was was he not Cy Young? I don't think he was. Right? Do we know offhand? Was, was it Ray Fontenot? It uh, might have been Ray Fontenot or possibly uh, George Frazier. Wait a sec. Uh, 85. Oh, no, he was, oh, he didn't. He finished second in the good, Cy Young. Good, or Oh, yeah. Right, good. Oh, good yeah. was like, good had even a more I guess, ridiculous oh, year. Yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. he was okay that year. No, no, good at a 25 and three or something, <laughs> right? Or 24 and three. I think he made the cover of Time and Newsweek in the same week that year. He was that's fine. a that, That's a hard luck Cy Young runner-up, I got to say, for Tut- John Tudor then. Tudor was 21 and eight with a 193 ERA. He threw 14 complete games. And ten shutouts. He led the league. He was thirty-one. 
Wow. He led 31. the league in shutouts and yeah, he was thirty one years old. He was that old. Yeah, he blew he he gave his life to that season. It would seem. So but but this is not a case where he got robbed. It's like so, as awesome as incredible as those numbers those numbers were, there's every chance yeah. that Gooden was still justifiably uh yeah, it's Gooden's here. I mean, I just know the one loss with Gooden was twenty four three, but you know. I don't know. It was it was Gooden really that good? Uh, 1985, 24 and 4, 153 RA. Uh, he threw 16 complete Jeez. games, but he only threw eight <laughs> shutouts. Oh my god, uh, it's not yeah. even close. Uh, he can't even make the case for two. He led the league in led the league in strikeouts, um, ERA, complete games. Um, yeah, he won the Cy Young and he finished fourth in the MVP balloting. Wow, that is that. I've never really stopped to consider that. You, I wonder if you can make a case that might be one of the most incredible single uh, individual seasons from a pitcher. So we know who the MVP was in 1985, Kelly. Uh, Willie McGee. Willie McGee. And then uh, second was Dave Parker. Of the Reds, right? Not Reds. The, not the Pirates. 34 homers, 125 RBIs, a 312 batting average. Would have been Cobra's second MVP. He had a split one with Cardinal Keith Hernandez in 1978. That's but not- his first MVP clean shaven. Was he really? Red's trivia. No, that, that that's what I'm here for, man. Now, you're gonna make Franco and Bo Diaz shave their mustache. You know, even even Dave Park was gonna lose that beard. Third in voting was Pedro Guerrero. Now the future Cardinal. <laughs> he got some MVP votes as a Cardinal in ninety or ninety one or whenever he dragged wow. his leg and and uh <laughs> How should we put this, Andy? Uh, uh, is uh, uh, what? What are they arguing on on, be- on his behalf in court after that drug charge that he, uh, you know, may not have been uh, going to, to to bat with uh, both both uh, stacks or some whatever he did to get out of that drug charge? But he was a heck of a ball player for the old the old ball club from St. Louis. Yeah. So you remember when the uh, the Dodgers moved Pedro to third and base? For for John yes. Stewart. Yes. And. Um, that was when Steve Sachs was going through the yips. And so Pedro once famously said that when he was playing third base, he would say a prayer before every pitch. First would be, please, God, don't hit it to me. And then he said he would quickly sneak in before the pitch, and please, God, don't hit it to Sachs. Sense of humor or Pete Guerrero? But just for the record, in 85, Kelly, Pete Guerrero would be an enemy of yours, right? Because he was still a Dodger and – He'd face you in the playoffs. In '85, I was five years old, so I and the only enemies of okay. mine were were uh, GoBots and uh, and GI Joes and and Teen Teen Transformers. But yes, by '87, he was on the fierce. '87 was? was really when I got got got. You know, I, I did not know that. Else. I did not know that that uh, Guerrero was on the. I knew he was a card. I I thought he was more of the Joe Torre era. I didn't know he actually captured some of the Whitey Herzog glory and actually. Yeah, '80 he traded to the Cardinals in September of '80. Oh, so he missed the 87 World Series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So I meant 87 was when I kind of hopped on to, to uh, knowing about every game. Yeah, I was, at a, I was at a Wags restaurant in Arlington Heights, I, Illinois. And I oh, was that, I was, was that up by John Tudor? Would that be the one on Palatine Road? Or the it has one to be. On... Has to... <laughs> well, yeah, which one? There are like seven in Chicago. <laughs> Walgreens venture into, into, uh, into Greek-style, breakfast-style restaurants. Wags. Yeah, so it, the same it, font turns out 85 <laughs> was was one of the years Pedro played third base. 
He had played wow. 74, he played uh, 157 <laughs> games at third in 1983. Then it was down to only um, just unsafe. 76 and 84. In 85, he played 44 games in third, and then that was the end of that shit. So, uh, let's see. Other Cardinals to get MVP votes. Willie McGee obviously got the most. Uh, then uh, uh, Tommy Herr uh, finished fifth. John Tudor finished eighth. Jack Clark. 110 RBI, eight home runs. John Tudor and then met Keith Hernandez tied eight for eighth. Uh, Jack Clark finished 10th. Wow. Vince Coleman, 11th. Uh, the Cubs had one guy. Ryan Sandberg finished 13th. Uh, oh, no, Keith Moreland also got MVP votes. He finished 17th. Zonk. And Ozzie Smith <laughs> finished 18th. Wow. I don't want to bet. <laughs> Kelly, I didn't hear who you said. Who did uh, the Cardinals trade uh, up to get Guerrero to the Dodgers? Uh, they traded John Tudor. And uh, John Tudor helped oh, the, uh, win-win. John was, Tudor, I think, won a game in the 88 series. Did he really? So he was still effective even after, like... No, no. Was, far <laughs> from effective. Far from effective. He he just, game, he, right, right, he'd right. have, like, you know, come out of nowhere with his... In his it's like, oh, okay, his arm okay. is attached. He today, kind of so vultured a victory, is what you're saying. Yeah. But, okay, because... You know, I, I don't have I, I have a vague recollection of Tudor as a Dodger, but after hearing those numbers from '85 and the fact that he was 31, I almost feel like he shouldn't have been too effective after. But yeah, and he was he was I I, I fear Gooden too. Obviously, I mean I, both of those guys haunted our dreams, and Gooden was the guy that he kind of threw a fear into the Cubs in '84. We'll talk more about that, Andy, when we cover '84. But he, uh, the Cubs tattooed him a couple times in '84, and then I'm pretty sure they didn't beat him again until like 87 like so yeah he was awesome against everybody but he was even particularly menacing against the cubs uh for a few years and in 85 john tudor definitely was uh tudor yeah, did the tudor pitched the 88 world series uh he pitched an inning a third didn't allow a run did not get a decision oh okay so but yeah and he, then he came back to the cardinals and had another great year yeah, look at that. 12, really? 12 and 4 with the Cardinals at age 36. Yeah, wow. And then his arm fell off. And he just he had to walk away. When did he have the unfortunate incident with the fan? I think it was 85. I, I didn't get to that point in heck of a year, the 1985 <laughs> Cardinals story. Where they, but maybe it was 87. But you know what? 87 scans. Tom Bernanski will do that to someone. Probably 87. <laughs> Can you can you refresh my memory? I only have a, the vaguest of recollections of John Tudor's fan incident. Oh, I've got it right. I've got it right okay. here. Uh, written what by Bob Verdi. The headline: Cards season. Season really. Oh, here it is. Cards really hits fan. Marvelous. Oh, he, this this Verdi broke out the prose too. John Tudor different. wore that cold New England stare of his, befitting a man who always appears to have a headache. But now he also had a towel wrapped around his left hand and splotches of blood about his gray uniform. Seems he had attacked an electric fan, which was the only thing the St. Louis Cardinals hit all week. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, that's Tell, telling no lies. After the World Series, huh? After the frustration? Maybe he didn't get – I mean, you know, every year the Cardinals would get to the postseason and they'd have Jim, Jim Lindemann as their cleanup hitter because hey, everyone Maine, was injured. Maine, so. Maine West's finest. He was their opening day right fielder in 87. 
It was Jim, Jim Linderman. Yeah, local guy. You know, I keep track of all the local guys because they always told us who they were when they came up. Jim Linderman. How about Mike Laga? Didn't he once hit a ball out of uh, Bush Stadium? A foul ball. A foul ball out of a foul ball out of Bush Stadium. I don't know, but I mean, we should really check up on him having a squat on top of that astroturf for 120 games a year. Poor, poor Mike Laga. Point. Poor, poor Randy Hunt. Poor uh, Mike Lavalier, the left-handed catcher. Tom Pagnazzi. Pags. Yeah, Pags was. Oh, and your your uh, everyone's best friend Neil Allen was the uh, starting relief there, the closer right. to start the year. So we brought up Neil Allen before because Neil Allen was sort of a well celebrated recovering alcoholic, I believe. And then we found out later that the reason that he so he came up with the Mets, he was a bright young prospect, and he got traded to the Cardinals for Keith Hernandez. Yep. What's the story there, Andy? What am I missing? Something like how. Uh, well, they traded they traded Keith Hernandez because uh, right snorty snorty, and they right. traded so they, for an alcoholic. They traded a cokehead for an alcoholic. Yes. Right, it's much more well. I mean, alcoholism Tra- is trade for what you know. It, well, it depends on your strengths <laughs> too. Some guys average. might play better under the influence of blow. Some guys might you know play better when they're drunk. So I mean, it's not necessarily you know uh, universal. So maybe you know maybe one of those sides. Was onto something. So the Mets retired yep. Keith Hernandez's mustache. I mean, his number on uh, over the weekend, and he told a story that I didn't. I either had forgotten or didn't know. When he got traded to the Mets, he was in the final year of a contract. Mid-season '83, I believe. Right. It would so, have been. Yes. What if? What if the Cubs had signed Keith Hernandez, and he had been the first baseman on the 1984 Cubs? How would? How would oh. things have been different? Instead because, of moving Bull Durham from the outfield, yeah. yeah. How would Keith Hernandez they, have? Because have, have, they uh, obviously weren't uh, they weren't married to Bill Buckner because they were forcing him out anyway. Yep. It's a good call, Andy. Interesting. I I mean I just I you know when you make that decision and put him in that, so obviously the error is still going to happen. We're all agreeing on that. It's still going to go through Hernandez's legs. Which one? Buckner's or Durham's? No, no, the the Leon Durham one. It's the Cubs of the Cubs of the Cubs. Keith Hernandez. Right, 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 right. If that that ball's hit to Keith Hernandez, it's an out. I mean, again, I I just, in that blue uniform, it's, it's, that's tough for me to just, you know, so I agree, but the finest of first base. something else might happen. He might have, uh, you know, I don't know. Tripped and then tripped Jim in Rock multiple Rains. ways and fell down the stairs at Jack Murphy Stadium. You know, something. But he just scooped <laughs> but that. But, but, but Kelly's right. Like Leon Durham, and I'll, you know, he's my favorite, as I make clear, and I will stand by. But he was objectively an above average defensive player. He That's was true. Good but outfielder. Keith was, good first baseman. Keith yes. was, at the time, the best defensive He probably baseman. was. Yeah. And He would have been your Ozzie Smith, the guy that comes in and cleans it all up. They may have played him in shortstop. <laughs> Left-handed shortstop. It's no problem. Snow problem indeed. Do you remember when? Imagine it... Hernandez and Wrigleyville in 1983. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> that'd be that'd be trouble. That'd, Probably, that'd be, especially well, after day game. Hey, it worked out for Dennis Eckersley for Smart uh, Bar and Metro well. would be a chain by now. But yeah, yeah, Eck Eck made it out. <laughs> <laughs> Just because he completely. Uh, uh, salvaged his career by leaving the Cubs. That didn't mean anything. Who was, and I don't remember this, I thought it was Brian LeHair, but it's not Brian LeHair. Would you remember when the Cubs had, fans were trying to convince the Cubs, people were like, why don't the Cubs just play Anthony Rizzo at third? 
Do you remember all that discussion? Because oh, hey, somebody Squires? else. Oh, wait, serious? Yeah, well, it's moron fans who moronic fans who didn't know he was who didn't know he was left handed, or who didn't know that you can't play a left handed player at third base. You can. I see. You know, Mike Squires. Rizzo actually. Rizzo played. He played third base in a game for the Cubs. Also played second because of the shift. I only know that because they had him on the rotisserie team. That yeah, for a while he got a bunt. He, he, leave him he, in second. Every time they would play the bunt defense and he had to come in and switch clubs, he technically was the second baseman. Uh, Kelly, why am I struggling to figure out who the Cardinals' first baseman was in 85? Jack, oh, oh, Jack, oh, yeah, Clark. Duh. Total uh, uh, J-off. Oh, Jack Clark? They're not even Cardinals fans like, yeah. No, so mm-hmm. I used to work with a woman, um, a good friend of mine. She's about a little bit, you know, been around longer than I have. She's a little bit older than me, but um, very attractive woman, even when she was older when I knew her. But she told me stories, and this this checks out, and because I'll I'll share it now. Is she currently dating Jets quarterback Zach Wilson? No, but she no. she did not date Jack Clark, but she dated another player whose name has been brought up on this podcast. And I think I could. Ooh, she didn't tell guess? me the name. She didn't tell me the name of the player she was dating right away until eventually I just said, so who is the player she told me? But she told me the story first about how at the time the player was on the Padres and I believe Jack Clark was on the Padres. And so, and all these guys were married, but she was like, you know, 28 years old, whatever, just enjoying her life. And, you know, being, being this player's mistress, but they all went out to dinner and Jack Clark was in the group. And she just told me some story about what an, like, like almost inconceivable asshole Jack Clark was to some fan who asked, had the temerity to ask for an autograph. Like she was shook by it. Uh, and so that's, I guess that's the only anecdote. I only, I guess that, but if, I, I only bring that up to, to validate Kelly's assertion that from what he's heard from his sources, that Jack Clark was a total Jack. I mean, I think even those of us that didn't have any sort of inside access, I think that was kind of the vibe that he gave off in the mainstream. Kind of okay. Afraid, I'm gonna, so I'm going to guess who the guy was. Yes. Jack Clark played for the Padres in 89 and 90. So I'm going to guess it was John Crock. It was not John Crock. Oh. I Kel- thought it was Pags. I went with Pags. Pags Lerulo. I don't know if this guy would be in the, uh, the – Well, you, now, you, now there are two Pags because you just referenced Tom Pagnazzi as, as Pags. Well, this Kelly. would be Mike Pagliarulo. Oh, okay. I was going to correct you and say, well, I thought Mike Pagliarulo was, was Pags. No, I don't know if this player was on the 89 Cubs, but he was – or 89 Padres, but he well, was a Cub. That's why his name came up. Oh, Calvin Chiraldi. Calvin Oh, gee, that would have been so gross. Phil, Ste- Phil Stevenson? <laughs> not Phil Stevenson. Well, here, we're just going to – we got nothing better to do. We're just going to – It's not Bruce Hurst. It's not Bruce Hurst. We can he all He might not have been is, – is that the only year that Jack Clark played for the, uh, all the right, Padres? Here, former Cubs on the 89 Padres. Benito Santiago. Future Cub. Yeah, they're all future. Yeah, okay. Carmelo no, Martinez. Not Benito. No. Um, Marvel mm-hmm. Wynn. Well, my God! I mean, the fucking '89 Padres is just riddled with past and future. Cubs. Darren Jackson, none of those so far. No. Andy Bennis, never a Cub. Phil Stevens, Cardinal. No, you already said it. This guy was a Padre in '89. Did you overlook him? You said Santiago, not yeah, Santiago, but he, but he. Was I didn't a hear kid. the Cub qualifier, so he was an ex-Cub. Oh, Mark okay. Parent. Mark Parent. Mark Parent. Yes, that's uh, it. Oh, he had a mullet. <laughs> She, you know, she she didn't mention his name because she didn't know I was a baseball. She she like, what's the point of mentioning Mark Parrott? And so after I got to know, I'm like, 
So who is the guy? It's, all right, his name was Mark Perrin. I totally yeah. know Mark Perrin. He's the guy that got picked off a of second base during the Cubs' uh, 1994 opening season uh, nine-game home losing streak where Tom Treblehorn was forced to stand out by the fire hydrant and, and answer <laughs> questions from belligerent fans. And when uh, somebody asked why Mark Perrin got picked off a of second, uh, Treblehorn said, I don't know, he's a dumbass. Go home and have another beer. So. What did they eat that night? They 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 made him like a nice chicken dinner or something like they made him like a cacciatore or something. But didn't he like eat treble horn in the in the uh, the fire marshal house? Didn't they have a? He may have. We all know bread. firemen are great cooks, and so he would have been privy to a hell of a meal. Yeah, have this yeah. cheeseburger we made in a shoe. <laughs> right, poor guy. The 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 Weasley front office is sending him out uh, as a sacrificial lamb to you know keep keep the masses at bay. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, but yeah, point of the story, Jack Clark, I think pretty much by any angle, um, a, just a universally acknowledged Jack bag. Yeah, we hated it. He, you know, he, he, I think he, he led the OPS in MLB in 87 or maybe the uh, MLB in OPS, okay. but he had like a, he had a four figure OPS in 87, but he only, he played like 80 games a year. And I remember any, any, he was just, he was just a schmuck or my dad clutching his son times coming out of the driveway after Clark signed with the Yankees going, this guy, and he's doing a limp. This guy could even make it to the, to the, this is how he was getting it in the box last year. And he's limping around. <laughs> Man, you know, this is before I'm going to school. So yeah, we didn't like him. We didn't, we didn't like him. You, you, you suffered him. He, now I have to say, of course he hit a very iconic home run for you guys in the 85 playoffs. Again, you were only five, but I'm sure you absorbed the lore off of, one uh, of the three home runs. They hit in the playoffs. That year. They Tom Needenfuer. And of course, Ozzy had one of the others also off of Tom Needenfuer. Tom Needenfuer did not have a good LCS. In yeah. I think if any, and if we realize anything from this podcast, that this Lasorda was just the worst manager in the history of baseball. <laughs> and I'm uh, here, I'm here for know, this. Uh, Pedro at third base, and let's bring Needin Fewer out in his droopy, dripping mustache and 120 degree humidity. And yeah, let's let's <laughs> let him. If Ozzy Smith is lighting you up from his wrong side, then correct. Uh, was that is it not that, is it not true that he never hit a left-handed uh, homer from the left side his entire career? Is that I, you know I if think he, it's something like that? It's not so much we have the stats in front of us. It's just watching that swing. It's just the anti-Ken Griffey Jr. So it just sort of makes sense that that would be the first. I think he hit it on a bounce, like a drop kick sort of thing. I think it bounced like a cricket thing like off the AstroTurf. Yeah, like we were playing home run derby or something with a tennis ball, and he gets a hundred. He gets a run and a half for that shot. No, I don't remember that, but it was all part of the lore by 87. Right, you'd have to know it. Prepping me for this, this, these punchless wonders that could not hit their way out of a paper bag, but that yet were somehow still in it because they had turned, you know, bloops into home, uh, inside the park home run. They did, and they played decent defense. They were fat. That was the thing in the 80s, I, you know. It was pre-steroids. Some teams had power. The Cardinals were totally known for just fucking running around the ballpark. I mean, Vince Coleman, how many – Stolen bases that he uh, get in 1985. 110. 
110. Although I will tell you, there was a lot of hype the very first Cubs Cardinals game. Had to be before the 13 game losing streak, but Coleman was like 30 of 31 or something. And I can just, this is anecdotal, but we could probably back it up if you had to, if you didn't believe me. But I will tell you that Vince Coleman on the Friday afternoon, very first Cubs Cardinals uh, series of the season, uh, reached base in the top of the first, and Jody fucking Davis threw his ass out trying to steal second base. And his first stolen base attempt against the Cubs. Oh, you're gonna say Steve Lake did it. No. <laughs> Lake was gone by eighty five. I don't know who they got to back up Jody in eighty five. Sumber came along in eighty six or eighty seven, but fifty eight games for Lake in eighty five. Yeah. For the Cubs? Yeah. I stick I apologize. My bad. Thank you. Wow. Kelly had a goddamn... uh... Kelly had a goddamn Steve Lake tops card right there. Right there. Just the, the only other catcher listed. So I wonder if uh, All right. did Keith get Moreland to get Moreland in the squat anytime? I think I, I think I confused Lake with Henry Cotto, who were the only two rookies on the 84 team, and they shipped off Cotto right away, who was Daenerys backup for the aforementioned Ray Fontenot yes. and uh, Brian Dayette. So. Well, that was a good deal. Yeah, I can't, can't fault it. All right, so Ozzie Smith in 6,281 – uh, left-handed at bats. How many home runs did he hit? Regular season. Yep. Two. Kelly. Uh, yeah, single digits. Eight. Five. Five. All right. Oh. He hit twenty-three from the other side. That was his power side. Twenty-eight homers. Twenty-eight home runs. Twenty-eight homers in twenty years. Exact same like number that Vince Coleman hit, by the way. That's a rod in May of nineteen ninety-eight or something. <laughs> right. Well, Sammy Sosa. Oh. Yeah, we all know the fact yeah. Sammy has the record, 20 homers in June. The old record was Dale Long, and he would hit 18. Yeah, I saw, speaking of the sitting and standing underneath the scoreboard, that, that Milwaukee game where he had three out, we got to, I got to be underneath the scoreboard for that one. That, the day after the Bulls won the eighth title, that was that was a lot of fun. 98? Plus watching my buddies uh, Buick get towed right <laughs> underneath us. I think I've told the nice. story on the podcast before. Yeah, it was great. Sorry, Smitty. Park right in front of Murphy's. Oh, we just gave up. We were just like, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll <laughs> Can't it. find parking. Sammy already has like one home run. It we're just a bunch of Hoosiers coming in from. I've been in. I've been out of sh- the suburbs for you know for. I've been living in Indiana for like two years at this point, three years. So we were hopeless. We got. We ever uh, had some police officers. We slowed down to to talk to someone, and police officers that we thought were coming to help us guide us to the to the Cubs Park. We're we're like, go somewhere else to buy your drugs. We're like, whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> just arrest us for the drugs that we weren't trying. Instead of just yelling something at us and then driving away, that Not seems like cool. something we would do if we were police officers in that situation because we would mess with people. Ah. But yeah, Sammy, June '98, beautiful. Yeah, Ozzy was Ozzy was was hopeless, but it was such it was a, that was why he fell in love with the team is because it was just slap, 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 slap. Not everything Clark. was doable, and Jack Clark it, it, and. And he was the one non-slappy, and then he had that big hit homer off of Needenfewer. So yeah, that was the formula. It was. And, and 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 Tudor also uh, sort of surpassed Joaquin Andujar. It wasn't Andujar, I, you know? And I'm relying on your history more than your you know your memory because you were too young to remember '82. But Andujar was the ace in '82 and '83. He won 20 games in '84. I remember. Worse and Tudor, temper than Tudor. Tudor basically passed him up, and then. Um, yeah, they, they had good pitching. I can't think of anybody besides Tudor and Andujar. They used to have John Stuper, but I don't think he was that good. Bob Danny Cox. 
Bob Forsh. Danny Cox. Danny Cox, who is also, you know, just perpetually 500 Danny Cox. Hey, I'm Danny Cox. I'm 10, I'm 10 and 12 this year. uh, year. 85 Cardinals had three guys win at least 18 games. John Tudor, 121. Joaquin Andahar, 121. And Danny Cox, 118. Wow. Wow. And then, of course, the great Kurt Kepshire, 110. I remember Kurt Kepshire. Anuhar was drafted in 1969, so that's that's uh, huh. that's what you're dealing with by 85 with this Cardinal staff. But yeah, he was he was right. the guy that lost his stuff in the game seven of that year. He was he was right. he was a fine pitcher, and his his arm just fell off. It just yeah, he, he was originally an Astro, I remember. Yeah, he and, and he's he he A's for a bit. Years for you guys, oh, he's with the A's, nice. And. He started and ended his career. Oh no! Here, well, here's my Todd. War, my the Todd Worrell fact is that he was the closer by the playoffs in '85, but then won the Rookie of the Year the subsequent season. So he was a rookie in '85, and then he actually won the award in '86. He grew a, a, a more of a Fu Manchu in '86. So it was more of like a confusion deal. Or in '85, he had like it wasn't so much that he didn't pitch enough innings in '85. It was just the writers back then thought he was an entirely different person. Nice. Horseman right. was really confused. It was. Right. It was just uh, <laughs> Jerome was getting toward getting. Yeah, they form. couldn't remember if it was Tim that was on yeah. the team last year or Todd. It was so it was, so did soon. Get hurt then? Is that Andy? I mean, like, because Suter would say 45 the year before. I know he was a free agent. Oh, and he, he left for the tri- before. Wait, really? Before he left 85? Before 85. He left for uh, the he, he left for Ted Turner's billions. Yeah, I remember that. I, I thought that I didn't know that that was 80. Uh, I thought it was after after 85, not after 84. I had no idea. I only know this because I looked up the sports thing earlier this and uh, yeah. it has holy shit. Effects, so they had a void. So they had a void. What the hell was their plan? I wonder. Uh, well, before World saved given, their ass. Given a roster full of Bible thumpers and teetotalers, manager Whitey Herzog, who is not known to be either, imported a preacher to conduct motivational chapel services. Reliever Neil Allen is not so sure. "Quote: God is in Atlanta," he says, <laughs> referring to Suter. So that's that's Neil Allen's confidence. Had he I like Neil season. Allen. I'd like to go out drinking with him if he didn't, you know. He uh, he gave up a game one, or he gave up a, yeah, the, the aforementioned uh, per permy haired kid hit a game winning home run in Shea Stadium off of him on opening day with, when with Allen in the reliever role. He did not blow a save. He was just in there in a tie ball game. Who's the permy haired kid? Sorry. Oh, Gary, uh, Carter? Uh, Gary Carter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The opening day eighty five, which yeah. was the same day that uh, right. That was because the, the Ivan DeJesus, I remember I remember watching that game at WOR flipping between that and that and the thrilling Cubs Pirates Steve Stone debut with uh Len Dwayne Stats that the Mets and the Cardinals played an extra inning game that Carter hit the wall. I know exactly the game you're talking about. Isn't it fun watching the other team always play the Mets? Like just watching, you know, it's just it, dude, I, you know, being a kid being a kid in '85, obviously GN was in our house all the time, and the Cubs were all day games, so you know, watched thousands of innings there. But having TBS, which I didn't care so much about, but every Braves game was on TBS. They were, and they got the AOS teams there, which were rare and unique, and you get to see the Padres. And I know what, right? And then, but WOR was like. Uh, a little more sporadic because they didn't have all of the Mets games, but I was obviously more tapped into watching the Mets games on OR uh, with uh, Ralph Kiner, Kiner. And, uh, Tim McCarver, I think, the aforementioned. A few other guys. I can't remember now. It's been a while. 
but yeah, just hated hated the Mets. Did not think twice, and just oh yeah, that comment. Because you know, I, I, and I've told Andy this. I, I didn't hate the Cardinals in '85. Yeah, I hated the Mets. And it's kind of weird. I should have hated the Cardinals because they were in contention. They, they they weren't necessarily a competitor of the Cubs in 84. That was the Mets and Expos and then just the Mets, it felt like. They were just uh, as hateable. They, they yeah, just, but if, not if as not much the as most the Mets. Hateable. The Mets were so much more hateable. Well, and, I mean, just against any other Cardinal team. Yeah, I was more annoyed by the Cardinals because of that slappy – Offense and the artificial turf and the and like nobody could fucking hit the ball more than two hundred ninety feet except for Jack Clark, and yet they would win ninety seven games and go to World Series and shit like that. So I was jealous, but I didn't hate him as much as I hated the Mets. But the Mets were the Mets were the the trash. The Mets were the so ones hateable. That were, yeah, we got that in common. I mean, I didn't think about the Cubs. Not not that because the you know when the Cubs were great in '89, I was rooting for them. They was they, right, you were living up here. You're, you're yeah, I was living here, up there, right? and it was all my buddies had a team, and it was great. It was just like the Mets yeah. were the ones you had to worry about with with Drake. Ah, look at what I got. Mike Bilecki autograph photo. Mike oh, Bilecki yeah. made he made his major league debut in 1985, and uh, at some point served up a home run to Rick Sutcliffe. He made it. He was on eighty-five. Wow. Yeah, Andy pointed out that in eighty-four he was in Hawaii and he had like a like a twenty-three and six record. And then for, for his yeah, as a reward, he got promote, promoted to, to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. He's like, ah, fuck this. I think I'll stay at Triple <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Tidewater, but I, okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> Same thing. Um, so Neil Allen in nineteen eighty-five was one and four with a five fifty-nine ERA. He had two saves. Jeff Lottie was their primary closer until Warrell showed up. He was uh, five and two with a one eighty four and nineteen saves, and Ken Daly chipped in eleven saves for the Cardinals. Lefty, and Bob Forsch got two. He did a they little got Ken Daly for Oberfell. They got Ken Daly for Oberfell. Yeah, so they sent Oberfell to the Braves. That's where they got Daly from, right? Uh, what a what a just a really bad trade. Bob Forsh once threw a no-hitter and then is now in the record books because his brother Ken also threw a no-hitter. I believe the only two brothers to throw no-hitters. Yeah, Bob Forsh. He was, so Bob Forsh still in the 85. He was not part of that troika of dominance uh, that included Danny Cox and Joaquin Nadeau and John Tudor. But he, uh, Bob Forsh still plugging away in 85. Is that right? Did he, he, was, get a he was. Start? He was. He, uh, oh, God. Probably not. He was, he was there until 88. Just, I mean. Okay. I'm trying to see. I uh, maybe it's, he, he seems like the sort of guy Whitey would send out, even like the starter series. Like ah, throw foreshadow. You might uh, have. see how they take that. I'm not as good with baseball references as I am with other things. All I can tell you is Bob Forsh's talking head is all over a heck of a year. The story of the '85 oh, Cardinals available on YouTube. He he describes the joy that he gets <clears throat> from watching the team play the team like the Cardinals where everyone gets to bat and everyone gets to pitch. Well, not everyone, sure. four or five guys and uh, everyone gets to feel that the balls hit to them. And, and it's about, it makes Ryan Sandberg sound like, uh, uh, you know, William F. Buckley or something. It's just, it's just uh, Bob Forsh is, is uh, don't, don't watch heck of a year. The story of the 85 Cardinals. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's, it's not all that fun. It's not like you're, you know, from Missouri. And then if you're from Missouri, how did you get on the internet? How sure. I, I will say a workmanlike uh, season by force at, at the ripe old age of 35. He threw 136 innings as the fifth starter. Three complete games, a shutout. He actually saved two games, probably bridging 
folks from Neil Allen to Todd Worrell, but he was nine and six. But yeah, 35 year old still plugging away, I'm trying to see if, if Whitey did actually uh, rely on him in the postseason. If so, uh, I don't know. They had Cesar Sedanio. They had Tito Landrum. They had Andy Van Slyke, who'd finally he was he was their Dunstan, and they were trying to make him earn the spot, and he finally did that year. Who was their and Dunstan? Then, Van Slyke. You Van Slyke. Yeah, he was like uh, he was like a first round pick, and uh, it took a while. He was. Yeah, yeah, I remember Van Slyke as a Pirates prospect. They re- they moved uh, Lonnie Smith for him at the beginning of '85, and uh, yeah, Van Slyke had two, two two good okay years of the Cardinals, and then they moved into the Pirates, and he was immediately like a MVP candidate in '88. Uh, yeah, I had that backwards. He came up as a card. That's right, he came up as a Cardinal, and then he has best years with Pittsburgh. That's yeah, right. <clears throat> Daryl Porter, uh, you know, had they they couldn't find him for a couple of weeks, so they decided yeah. they had to trade for Tony Payne, sure. and that's they how we lost Mike Van Slyke. I think then it was just that whole strip mall with the comedy clubs and the, the laser tag in the 80s in St. Louis was just a thing, guys. Was... <laughs> Daryl had a fistful of quarters and plenty of places to amuse himself. Oh, Daryl. Oh, DP. Oh, so Daryl. There, yeah, was, there was a player on the 1985 Cardinals who managed in between Hall of Fame managers. A player in uh, the, the 85 Cardinals. Cardinals? Yes, who then managed the Cardinals. And the guy he replaced was a, a Hall of Fame manager, and the guy who replaced him was a Hall of Fame manager. Do you know who that guy is? Can I cheat by looking at the 85 Cardinals roster? Yeah. And, and by the way, I can see the guy that was played in a movie by, uh, I can't remember the fellow's name. I can see the guy that was in the movie Moneyball as the manager. I do not see the between MVPs. Oh yeah, Art Howe was an '85. I give uh, give Mike a minute, and if he can't, we'll just. Uh... Was it Vince Coleman? It was Vince Coleman. It was Vince Coleman. Yeah. He's just the manager he got, type. He got fired for throwing fireworks at uh, at some of the fans. Now, 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 remember, he just he just dropped the fireworks away from the jeep as the jeep <laughs> sped away. Any torque. That that resulted in in the, in the you know sort of a jet stream that results in the fireworks approaching the children was not the fault of anyone on the All 1991 right. Mets. I guess that's right. right Who else was up? in that jeep? You give up, Mike? You've muted yourself. You're so excited about this that he's managed to mute himself. And it wasn't Lonnie Smith. It wasn't Lonnie Smith. All right. I'm. Well, Mike, Mike tries Jurgensen. to figure out his. Uh, or, do you have the answer? So Mike Jurgensen? He's waving no. He's miming. He's pantomiming. <laughs> this is good for an audio <laughs> podcast. Hold up a Mike Balecki autographed card. Yeah, did you just say it, Kelly? A Mike Jurgensen? Mike Jurgensen. He replaced okay. Joe Torre, and then he was replaced by Tony Larusa. Ah. Sorry, I couldn't remember that. Uh, you know, try not to pay attention to baseball in the nineties. It was there was no slap hitting. Not, not, not enough slapping. I missed all the slapping. It was more just, you know, tying one on and, and sending it out. Hal Lanier on the coaching staff. Johnny Lewis, 62-year-old Ren Shane Deist, who looked about 112. 62. That, he's 20 years older than me. He looked <laughs> 400 years old then. Nick Leva, 31-year-old wow. first base coach. So Nick Leva apparently never played the sport of baseball is what I'm trying to glean from this. He just went right to the managing. Uh you know, good good eye for talent, Whitey. You know, these are some future names. 
Lanier went on to not replace Whitey. So, <laughs> so Lanier managed the Astros. Leva managed the Phillies. Uh, I forget who else he said. Yeah. It was quite. The, it was like the. It was like their own little. Managed. Red had already like been put out to pasture, right? He was yeah. only sixty-two then. He's only sixty-two. He coached the team that came out of the field in Field of Dreams. That's that. That was his squad. <laughs> this is a real high school of coaches of managers we're looking at here. This is just this is a crew. Whitey Herzog was fifty-three in nineteen eighty-five. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. So the how, who's older, Whitey Herzog or uh, Wilford Brimley? Let's let's go. Uh, <laughs> well, Holy one of them's still shit. alive, so I guess he's technically, yeah, technically older. So that means Whitey wasn't even—he uh, was fifty when the Cubs won the when the Cardinals won the World Series. Jesus. Yeah, wow. Sorry, he's three years older than uh, than Wilford Brimley. Yeah, and when I'm Hal Lanier's age. He's three years older when Wilford Brimley led the Knights to the pennant, or just three years older. <laughs> Then Wilfred Rimley when Wilfred Rimley died. Oh, three years older at that. Older, point. Oh no, older in real life. But Not the Wilfred, God, I mean, so how? Very so what, so the Wilfred Rimley that was managing the Knights in that movie was younger than the Cocoon one. Yes. Oh my yes. God, that guy yes. looked like he was ninety-two. Yeah. Never eat oatmeal, children. Terrible for you. Yeah, Whitey. Uh, excuse me, Vince Natural Coleman came, came up. Danny Cox was born in Great Britain. Wow, no wonder he was not great at baseball. <laughs> he was excellent at rounders. Yeah, he just kept wondering. He's like, why do I have to come in now? Like, why can't we just stay out here for a day and a half? I, I, I did just want to circle back to one thing because I found it was funny. You guys were both – I don't know who said it. But the idea of, of a 35-year-old fifth starter, Bob Force, somebody said, well, you know, why did might have just thrown him out, uh, you know, uh, in a playoff game? And sure enough, Bob Force did get a start against the Dodgers uh, in the playoffs that season. So good good, good call on, uh, on Whitey's inclinations. Oh, he knows the angles. He knows that team up and down. He knows how he knows the third baseman's a little shaky, and then their second base. Why didn't we call the yips the saxes? Why didn't we just switch on that? The yips are like golf. We need to, baseball needs its own thing. I'd like to introduce that. The saxes. This blasses is, is like that doesn't that doesn't work. You can't do plural blasts. Hmm. Is that the guy from the Pirates that had it? Blass. Steve, Steve Blass had it. Uh, you know, I mentioned that Fergie kind of had a little bit of it in his second go around with the Cubs in '83, around the same time that Sachs had. Maybe it was contagious. Um, the, the other thing I have to mention this because it strikes me is that the, the game that Whitey started Bob Force was game the pivotal game five is a two-two series. He sends out Bob Force, and Bob Force only goes three and a third innings, three hits, two walks, two earned runs. He got pulled. It was almost like Whitey was way ahead of his time. And just treated Bob Force. Was, the, uh, was Bob Force the Jason Hamill of the 1985 <laughs> Cardinals? Yes. But even Hamill only started the game four against the Mets. Like they had gone through the rotation. Maybe somebody was hurt. Maybe Joaquin was, uh, you know, driving well, around lost and couldn't make the start. Hamill also was, started uh, with himself game four against the uh, Cardinals and, and contributed more with his bat. Then he now, did because he uh, he got the yeah, hit, he got the hit that sent John Lackey into fits of lackiness. 
Yeah. Got him so mad that he wow. started screaming, throw the fastball, and Javi took the first pitch and hit it into the bleachers. Yeah. Well, you made me upset, and now so I have to return the favor by pointing out that Danny Jackson was the starter for the Royals in that game. Ouch. Yeah. We, we Sorry, pillor- guys. We, we pilloried him. All-time, fav- the- all-time favorite Cub, Danny Jackson. Over yeah. Dave Smith? You're going you're gonna to take him over Dave Smith? All right. Well, it's all, all right. Yeah. Jackson was really disappointed. Basically, it was the Ozzie Smith game that Bob Force started. There's your trivia. When Ozzie hit that homer, Jack Buck told everybody to go home. Well, that's the 35 year old Bob. Yeah, go Ford. home, everybody. Go home. He told him to go right. crazy, not go home. Whatever. Go home. Go, go home, everybody. Go home. Get out of here. I'm you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Bush Stadium, too. Yeah, exactly. He's used, to, he's used to talking to, uh, you know, his his colleagues in the booth. Okay, time to go home. That's that's enough. <laughs> All right, they don't want to wait All right, Joe, you pack up your stuff. We're going right. on. And here's 20 bucks for a cab, Mike. Yeah. Angrily punched an electrical fan. Cutting his, first of all, when you're punching something, why are you leading with your strong hand to begin with? Okay? You yeah, that's to what never like, made any sense. You're not supposed to punch. Not smart. I mean, nuke, let alone or uh, Crash Davis taught Nuke Lelouch that in a bar. Oh, you never take a swing at some drunk with your right hand. I've never seen that movie all the way through. That's you know probably why I didn't get into that frat. Hmm. That was it. I'm just reading up in this horrifying game seven where the Cardinals just just acted like a bunch of little babies. We wouldn't have to be here. Yeah. You know what? Well, just beat them to first base, okay? <laughs> But he, Todd will always say he did. Yeah, but beat him by one and a half, okay? Make it like it's got to beat the replay. So you have to, like, win it. And I, I just I – I went to I went to college in Missouri briefly, and uh, just having to hear from a bunch of people my age that ha- had no recollection of that game because, again, they were five, who were not watching it in real time. And if you were watching it, you're just making it up, pretending that they were so upset about that. That they, they they were so upset in their kindergarten class the next day or something like no no you weren't you were five you didn't see it you heard about it later when ESPN told you they had to be upset about it. the Cardinals were in the World Series like every year sure no one cared it was a thing that didn't happen it was like uh, I'm not trying to, to kiss up to Cub fans but like in terms of gut punches going into a game seven in 03 versus going into a game seven you know in your own state yeah. in 1985 grow up a pair grow grow up. I do appreciate the parallel, though, because I, until this moment, I didn't really quite consider that the, the gut punch of a game in which you're still afforded a second chance, yeah, and then you kind of shit the tub. But Joaquin and is the one that melted down, right? Joaquin, I mean, they yes. all did. They all did. But my, Joaquin was really not in a position. I probably because he was. I don't know. Like Joaquin seems like maybe a fun guy. He was probably already mentally checked out when the ninth inning started in Game Six. And I'm not off the pitch tomorrow. I'm going to start. He had led the league in innings pitched the year before, and then yeah, he was done. Out. He checked out. He's like, oh fuck, I got to pitch tomorrow. Is bullshit that Gringo yeah. totally misses the call. <laughs> Left the league and hit by pitches two years in a row. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was a red ass kind of guy. Yeah, he was like a Zambrano esque. He was kind of a Zambrano esque. Yeah. He's like Carlos entirely who I thought of when Carlos he could, came, but he couldn't hit. It was like Carlos without the bat. Maybe. Got it. Yeah. Carlos would have had but the fifth best. Joaquin OPS didn't. On this Joaquin uh, yeah, probably. He would have had the second most homers at least. Yeah. Um, so Tudor started Game Seven. Gave a five. Uh, Eighty-five. Joaquin pitched oh, uh, in relief. 
the, the oh, Mandela no. effect and through his fits. <laughs> let's just let's let him sweat in the bullpen and come in so I think he has to work at all. And it looks um, like by the time he uh, came in, they were already down ten to nothing. Oh, so so somehow there's a Mandela yeah. effect. We all assume that Andrew Howard just you know his temper got the best of him. Well, That's he threw a fit, right? Didn't he? Yeah, I remember that the, the, the game was out of reach. The, I remember by that part. But by the time yeah, he got, he by the time he got ejected, it was the next day. Okay, so, so the missed the calls great... of Saturday. Game seven was on a Sunday, yeah. and they just they just couldn't handle themselves. That just makes the uh, the corollary to the Cubs 3 even stronger because you know you're like you got John Tudor, yeah, and like we had Kerry Wood, you know, so it just yeah. Joaquin Anahar pitched to two batters in Game Seven. He came in with it already, <laughs> with it already ten nothing, no eight uh, mm-hmm. nine nothing, and uh, gave up buddy. a base hit Smart to Frank White. <laughs> that, drove, that drove in a run, and then he walked Jim Sunberg, and then he was replaced by Bob Forsh. It all comes back to Bob Forsh. Oh, good old Bob. I, th- I think that game probably had less to do with who was pitching for the Cardinals than who was pitching for the Royals. Which which is why I think the well, Cardinals and, threw such a fit in, after, in losing Game 6. They didn't want it. They were screwed having to face Brett Saberhagen in Game 7, and they knew it. Yep. It was Saberhagen oh, yeah. was the one that was given a lifeline with that with a Denkinger call. Wow. And, you know, Lonnie Smith Torres scored two runs in the game. Good for him. Good for him. Shove it in her face. You know, Lonnie, so Lonnie was interesting because he was a young guy on the 80 Phillies. And then, he, of course, as you know from your history, he was an 82 Cardinal, right? And then he would be on, he was on the Royals in 85, right? Yeah. So he was like this weird, like useful, you know, outfielder that was finding himself on these World Series teams. And then it ran out. In 91, of course, he might have been on another World Series, but 91, he was on the Braves, and it was his own base running mistake that would have prevented him from being uh, a guy that would have won World Series, being a pivotal member on four World Series teams. No, he was pivotal. But he was a he was, he was pivotal. He was a very useful player. Oh, heck yeah. The 85 Cardinals set a World Series record. Do you know what it was? Uh, diapers per inning. <laughs> They had the lowest batting average of any team in a World Series ever. Oh my! They, they hit the one. Tracks. They hit one eighty-five for the series. <laughs> wow! I mind you, that's a seven-game sample size, so that's right. legit. That, that's that you know, that's not like right. a weekend. That's the uh, that's forty nights worth of baseball. Forty the, hits the, in seven the, games. The, the nineteen sixty-six Dodgers, who, who I okay. believe were shut out, were uh, four oh, times by the Jim Palmer-led Baltimore Orioles. Completely woeful. So it says a lot that that and that, but that was again that was a I believe a four game sweep or maybe a five game series. So to Kelly's point, yeah, a seven game series to continue to be that woeful. Tito Landrum uh, had nearly a quarter of their hits in the World Series. He had nine of the forty that they got. Tito was quite the postseason star. He was. Tommy Hurst. The White Sox. Yeah, that's the White Sox. That's uh, two right. years removed from when he broke the Sox fans' hearts in the uh, LCS. Big homer off of Britt Burns. I remember I liked him because his name was Tito. Didn't know anything about him other than he had an afro and his name was Tito. I he was yeah, that, yeah. That afro. And I, I'm pretty sure Tito came up with the Cardinals, if I'm not mistaken. I think this was his second go around when he was on the 85 team. He was. Yeah. Good old Tito. You know. 
Is your uh, dad a Cardinals fan, Kelly? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah well, we don't. I've never really asked it. how it started. Yeah, because like, why do you want to ask about that? You know, why did right. why did we? Were you guys all click like crazy racists in the '30s or what happened? <laughs> there, I think there was there were like two sets, and there still are two sets of Dwyer's, one in St. Louis and one in Chicago. And I think the first crew of of you know uh, first, second, whatever generation, third, fourth, fifth, had wanted nothing to do with baseball, and then some part of the family got the bug in St. Louis, and and uh, yeah, New so Zealand grandfather. Yeah. yeah, grandfather, father, and then me, and it was to me. It just was never a weird. It was just not an odd thing. It was I don't know why. It was before cable TV and all that, so it wasn't like sure. a kid in the '90s growing up were like my, you know, your favorite teams, the Cowboys and the Bulls and the Braves or something. Um, but you know, got it. It, it held up in the suburbs because the Cubs were. They were, even when they weren't great, they still were five all stars. They still were fun. They still were. We had our guys. All the time. Yeah. So Buckner, you know. Kingman, yeah, even to the earliest days. I, I only asked because the so that '85 season, if he was a diehard, I mean, that's you know, that's you 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 know it more secondhand. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, he yeah, he was up all night after Deckinger, but again, there's a, right. there's a game that's the next day. Right. Yeah, I, right. I remember. Well, we were up all night after Bartman. Same thing. We got a game the next day. I remember up all night after Game Seven and '87. Not only because uh, uh, we that they'd lost the season, but I think. We had taped over the Roy Orbison Black and White Night concert on VHS in keeping that game seven. I might be wrong about that. I might that may have been like some Katarina Vitt thing that we that my years might be messed up on. VHS technology was it was nascent and you know, we were still trying to decide between beta and uh, you know, it depended on what your parents' tastes were into. But yeah, it was it was fun growing up as a Cardinals fan. But weird because they were also like you said, they're the only team that wasn't on like a national TV situation sure. back then, but every Saturday they're on AB or NBC. Yeah. Bob Costas trying to suck up to all of our grandmothers and aunts and uncles. Bob's so, good at that. Do you think if the, if the Denkinger thing happened um, now, if Cub fans would buy uh, Cub jerseys and put Denkinger and his umpire number on the back, like there's Cardinal fans who go out and spend 180 bucks to get Cardinals Bartman 03 jerseys and wear those around. And how, how do you know that, Andy? Because you can see them when they do the wave. <laughs> oh, they, good. They, they stand up and show you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, close game against the Dodgers today. Doing the wave right in the middle of it. Oh, they were, they were doing it in the ninth inning of a tie game against the Cubs. Yeah, uh, how's, how's a, a fellow like Packy Naughton supposed to keep his composure in a situation <laughs> like that? I ask. I ask. Yeah. No, I'm 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 not I'm not happy among other Cardinal fans. I like the ones I like online, but it was never like first of all, there were never any in school. It wasn't like you know, right? Like, you, that's a weird thing to be like finding a Reds fan or something because they were in the right. same division. It was Cubs or Sox or nothing. Yeah, and it was it was it was a weird. I was a weird kid, still am. And uh, Andy maybe comes in Brewers, or, you know. but no, again, there weren't any, eight, there weren't any Brewer kid. Brewer fans. Yeah, Brew Al. Yeah, that's true. But you know, it was it was awesome. I I'm a slapper. I love the slaps. That's why I got into you know. Sorry, I enjoyed the Walt Herniak White Sox for a while because they <laughs> ruined everyone on that team's uh, team's batting stance with that that let's slap. So uh, Sammy Sosa spent years ragging on uh, Herniak after he got out of Chicago, but Herniak was sort of Ted Williams. 
Yeah, he was he was the genius that told everyone to not try to get home runs and and uh, but you know the Cardinals were pre herniac but just as slappy and uh, it would you know it just made sense when it, it, there wasn't like a conversation. It's just one day you just you just you're a baseball fan and that's the team you're already rooting for, in spite of Tommy Her. Yes, in spite of Tommy Her. In spite of. God, Ricky Horton. I mean, if all the players to bring back as an announcer, they bring back Horton and, and Jim Edmonds. Just just a mess with us. Just a mess with the Cardinal fans with half half a conscience about listening to Jim Edmonds and his and his let me hold up on these fly balls to center field so I can get my uniform dirty and, and uh it's a rough listen as Cardinal fans. You always have to go with the away package on the uh the MLB League pass. It's it's you know. <laughs> It's not a happy existence, and you're trying to concentrate, and they do the wave, and you know you go you go to the stadium and you make jokes, and no one gets them. They try to sell you a Tino Martinez bobblehead, and you're like, I don't want one of these. You know, I mean, it wasn't any good, but uh, you know, in the playoffs every other year for the last fifty years, and it would have been every year if it weren't for my uh, Mr. Matheny blowing a game. Blowing six games a year every year when the Cardinals were one game out of the wild card every year, and proven to be able to win a World Series after eking in, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. I have no complaints. I'm gonna have to lock my Twitter account now after this podcast, but still, well, that's all right. My, Mike is in Kansas City now, where he's in charge of the vaccine program for the Royals. <laughs> you're gonna get a needle up Whit Merrifield. <laughs> but- I enjoyed that Wit today basically said, well, if, if I get traded to a team that might actually make the playoffs, I probably will get the vaccine, but I'm not getting it for the fucking Royals. So, no. Screw that. They deserve that. And the Cardinals are going to have, you know, <laughs> Cardinals going to have to be excused from the playoffs this year if that if that's the case, because every single one on that team, even with Matt Carpenter not there to goad everyone into it, you know he's still on like the group chats, he's still in the text message threads, <laughs> he's still waving waving that left hand, he's waving the salsa around for for a rod to smell. Get a good whiff of the greatest a rod smelling the closed jar of salsa, one of the great one of the great moments in Sunday Night Baseball history. Just, and doing it repeatedly, just like just repeatedly. to show how into it he was. Yeah. Like, like right. he's in, you know, right, the Mediterranean so qu- quaffing an espresso instead it's <laughs> a jar of Matt Carpenter's Escalade in the middle of August. Have, have a whiff of my mason jar. This is the one month I'm, I'm actually hitting through the, uh, the shift. Matt, are there tomatoes in this? Shot of Matt Carpenter just squeezing little individual packets of ketchup into 32 mason jars for all his teammates. No, it's been fun. I love the Cardinals. It's been great. Every six years they get a guy that I don't hate rooting for. But, you know, it's hard. You know, you get Gerald Perry. You get... Sometimes you get a person of color. It's it's you know, but other than that, it's just Matt Carpenter and Miles Nicholas rubbing sage and <sighs> drumming up support for candidates. I'm not in favor of. It's uh, it's 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 fun. It's fun. Didn't Eckstein do a do a do a commercial against uh, to, to do one of that commercial that Rush Limbaugh got in trouble for one year? Or no, that was uh, who was that pitcher for the Cardinals? The later went on to the uh, Brewers. It was like 04. Oh six, I think he ended up a Cub. 
I can't recall. The Cardinals are full of terrible people every year, year in and year out. But, no, uh, you know, good Jeff, on base percentage. Is it Jeff Supan? Yes, Jeff Supan. Yes, Jeff Supan. I think we've lost, we've lost Mike again. We can see him laughing. He's laughing at everything. Yeah, he's laughing. But we can't hear him. He doesn't know why I keep interrupting him. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, well, he's him. talking right over me. He's like, oh, we can't hear yeah. you. Or at least we're pretending we can't hear you. I actually think oh, I, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong when I said Jeff Supon. And nobody, <laughs> nobody acknowledged it until yeah. Andy said it. I'm like, you just stole my fucking line. I didn't have the indicator that my mute was out. I read so, your sorry. I read your lips. Well, it wasn't muted. It sounds looks like your microphone just wasn't working that Something time. is going on with my headphones. We started you went out of the beginning of the losing streak. So we're like eight games <laughs> into it. Yep. All right, we're gonna have to re-record. You just started to tell a story. Well, you said something about Jerry Sloan not right. being at the <laughs> camp. I don't know who the fuck Grail Gilkey is, but all right, whatever. <laughs> no, let's right. start over. All right, I'll tell like, that story. Kelly's got a tab open with his name on it for later. That's right. There is the article if you have Tribune access. <laughs> so uh, on the uh, on the marquee broadcast the night we're taping this, um, Google's McGregor was talking about some guy who is like the I don't know he's does the whatever their phony baloney what's the name of the of the Captain Morgan Club? The guy is like the not Matred D whatever he is, and she's like, you know him. <laughs> It's like because so many of us have been in the Captain Morgan Club and we know Gus or whatever his name was. But she said he's been with the Cubs forever and his favorite player was an eighty four and eighty five Cub. And not a guy you would expect. His favorite Cub of all time was Ron Say. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer, but that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. No. Ron Say, who spent what, like four middling seasons with the Cubs? Yes. <clears throat> 232 and 85. Yeah, but he did hit 28 homers in 84, right, Kelly? You, you see that? 25 and 84, 24 and 83. Yeah. yeah. For high 30 with the Dodgers I mean, he, in 1977. Yeah. Ron Say was definitely end of his career, and he already had, you know, limitations due to his stubby legs and it whatnot. Just, it seemed like such an odd – like, it's fine to say, you know, I kind of like Ron Say. Right. Favorite but to player. work for the Cubs for 50 years, and he's your favorite Cub. Right. It's not like Gary Matthews flipping the helmet off his head as he's rounding second base, and you know so many other better, you know, more exciting choices of the among the weird ones, right? I mean, my favorite is Vance Law, but '88 was special, guys. Special 1988 All Star Vance Law. That is a weird. That's like you know, who is that? That's like my favorite bowl is Daryl Walker. My favorite. No, Ron Say was better than that. But that Daryl Walker, the uh, the twelfth man in the ninety three. Twelfth man in the ninety three Bulls. That's nice. that's that's such an inappropriate favorite cub. But then again, <laughs> working at the famed Bacardi one fifty one yeah. fire lounge. Like, oh, I hope he, I hope he gets a job at the sports book. Maybe they can, maybe they can save him a save him a slot over there. Uh. So looking at the 85 Cub roster, um, we're talking about how they were, you know, we looked at that team, I'm sure, at the time as the 84 Cubs only better because um, now that Sean Dustin was coming up, they got a full season of Davey Lopes. Who's um, who is stolen, stolen base, consecutive stolen base record, which he himself had set and was about to eclipse late in his career 
was ended on the watered-down infield of Atlanta Fulton County Stadium on the same day that Rick Sutcliffe, who, of course, had won the Cy Young the year before, tried legging out a double play and instead pulled his hamstring. Oh, yes. Steve, Steve Stone was very quick on the dirty pool of the Atlanta Braves grounds crew, watering the infield so much that poor old Davey Lopes had to have his burgeoning stolen base streak uh, snapped and that Sutcliffe would be put on the DL for like two months because of that. So, so yeah. it had nothing to do with the fact that uh, Rick Sutcliffe was 30 pounds overweight. It didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> and were they watering the infield to slow down 40-year-old Davy Lopes? Is yeah. that what the Braves were like? His fucking Lopes is not stealing four bases in this game. He was, he was fast for his old age and what? clearly some crafty motherfucker. He was like making it – he had set a record himself as a in-his-prime Dodger second baseman in that infield with the aforementioned Ron Say and Bill Russell and, uh, and Steve Garvey. And he set a mark, consecutive stolen base without getting caught, and then it got broken. And then he shows up with the Cubs as like a corner outfielder, pinch hitter, old guy, but he still stole bases. And he made a run at his own record until that fateful day in, uh, in he was, you know, Fulton in, County. In 85, he, Davey Lose was 47 for 51 stolen bases. Incredible. At Incredible. Wow. Yeah, they, had gotten, they had gotten him. SBs. Yeah, it was Rhino's highest season high, career high for stolen bases, too. They though. got him in 84, but not until August 31st. So he wasn't on the playoff roster. Or did right. They, I don't remember. They didn't no, they couldn't I, do any chicanery to get him on the playoff roster. I think he was, and Jay Johnstone, our friend, ended up being like the odd man out or something like that. I, I, somehow, maybe I got that wrong. Because I, I think back then they, that was still considered under the wire. Jay Johnstone always was. The oh, yeah, he did. He played, he played in the. He, Played in two games okay. in the 84 playoffs. Yeah, it was, a, it was his former teammate, Jay Johnson's expense. He somehow was caught stealing nine times in two games. No, he batted once. It looks like must have pinch run. He was the, yeah. Uh, um, I don't even want to. I don't want to bring up our old friend from the 2019 playoffs. I'm not even going to say it. Um, Billy uh, Hatcher, 12 doubles in 53 games. I love. I love a Billy Hatcher. I well, love Billy yeah. Hatcher, and I'm I'm positive that. Uh, well, maybe it was the next year. Did he? How many years did he play for the Cubs? I I know I I wrote in Billy Hatcher as an All Star in one of my trips. Yeah, probably eighty seven. You know, I remember how popular he was. I I talked about being the, the 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 Jerry Sloan camp when like who the fuck is Darren Jackson and playing for Bob Dernier and Jackson was terrible and got sent down and Hatcher came up and I remember my sister was like, why wasn't that guy called up the first time <laughs> they got hurt? They called up Darren Jackson instead. But Hatcher was always seemed to like kind of a. Uh, uh, inspire our imagination. He had his moments, you know. He had some. He had a huge World Series for the Reds in 1990. It wasn't that big. He only hit. He only 750. hit 750 <laughs> in the World Series. <laughs> he also had a huge homer against the Mets in '86, and the LCS is a member of the Astros. Uh, yeah, yeah. His, crazy game six his career games. postseason stats um, in playoffs total, he had 404. Uh, he hit 300 in two NLCSs, and he hit 750. And it wasn't like he was three for four. He right. was nine for 15. So he, pretty uh, badass. Is that right? Is that 750? Nine for whatever. I just looked. Nine for 12. 15 at bats, three walks. I just don't know how all these Cubs teams survived on the uh, the dual. The, just with all that, that 
rough hewn masculinity in the clubhouse between Brian Dayette and Jay Baller. That's Jay Baller. that's just too much man for Jay me. Jay Baller, it's easily one of the great baseball cards of all time. It's the Jay Baller, just the chest hair pouring out chest of that hair. thing, the big the, the stash. Yeah. It's just majestic. Eighty-seven. Yeah, Dayette he was, was one of the guys. Dayette he was, was one of the guys that made his debut in '85 when all those pitchers got hurt. They Dave Engel, they Jay Baller. I don't remember who else, but yeah, yeah, everybody in. Everybody in Tidewater had to come up, play for the Cubs at some point. <laughs> yeah, right, right up the river from this imaginary Tidewater that we were that I, Kelly Dwyer made up. <laughs> Steve Trout, oh my God, this is a staff. Telling you. So eighty, I believe this. I looked this up for a column. I'm pretty sure '85 was the year that Steve Trout fell off the exercise bike. Could have been. It looks like it. I've seen his picture from that year. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just know there's that, and then he also got traded in '87 after throwing consecutive shutouts. Hey, trade him at right. the top of his value. But you're right, and it wasn't just a bike, right? Did you say stationary bike? Yeah, community? it was on an yeah, exercise yeah, bike right. in the spacious cub clubhouse. I, I, I don't want to say that. Fell right out of it and hurt himself. I don't want to say that causation equals uh, or whatever they say. I, I'm not saying there's a relationship, but Steve Trout was known to, you know, have, um, you know, enjoy. He was known to correlate. Well, he correlated a bit. He was known. I mean, he was known to correlate his nose with certain white. Uh, I don't know if it was that. I, everybody know famously, um, his his family they had a chronic inner ear problem. You remember what his dad's name was? His dad's name was Dizzy Trout. So maybe that's, the Cubs. maybe that's all that happened was Steve got up on the bike and channeled the old man and fell right off yeah. the bike. Well, he just had some so vestibular yeah, difficulty. And all that, you know, all that stuff in there is related. It's all, you know, it's all, it's all the same pipes. <laughs> I just don't know how any of these guys survived Wrigleyville in the eighties. That was just the most right? yuppie rock, you know, Heineken in one hand and a whatever. Oh, well, boy. It really started to after 84, it became more of a destination. So within short order, lights came by in 88, you know, property value shot up by the end of the 80s. So, yeah, they were in the thick of it, these guys. And they're playing all day games. So, like, they're done with work at, you know, 6 o'clock. Do you know what player led the 85 Cubs in OPS? Was it Chico Walker? No, close. Was it Brian Dayette? It was Thad Bosley. Mm, pinch hitter extraordinaire. Thad Bosley in 108 games hit 328 with a 391 on base and a 511 slug. Wow. So he so impressed Jim Fry that in 108 games, Jim Fry got him 180 at bats. Yeah. On an injury riddled team. <laughs> well, no, he can, know, only, he, can only, he can only pinch it. So we're not going to be able to play him in the outfield. He's what? 28. It's not like he's in his prime or anything. You know, it's, <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, Andy, behind him. Andy, you mentioned like it, when we did 1986, how it was kind of ridiculous how they were still running this team out here for the most. Because yeah. I was surprised to learn that they still had Matthews and Say on 86. So, yeah. Uh, so certainly in 85 and they did get off to a good start, but it, it was a lot like we've talked about like the 99 Cubs, maybe a little bit similar bunch of, you know, uh, over-the-hill gang that gets off to a good start. And then, oh, you know. I mean, the 99 Cubs were. <laughs> well, I, I, I feel like I got to defend the 85 Cubs here. The, I mean, the, yeah. the 80, 85 Cubs were like, you know, the dynasty in waiting. The 98 Cubs were like the theme that, the, oh, okay. Well, I mean, the only, minute, that they, 
the minute they, they re-signed to... Gary Gaetti, correct? It's basically, <laughs> we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Right. At least yeah. the '85 Cubs pushed the 39-year-old Gary uh, Larry Bow out of the way for yeah. an unproven yeah. Sean Dunstan. Yeah, Dallas yeah. was working on Theo's dual trains of or contending and developing at the same yeah. time. And he was—he proved to be successful at it. He just got fired before it really, you know, had become realized. But yeah, and, and Dunstan was premature, as we've already sort of poured over. But so our buddy Larry Boa hit two forty-six. He did, and it uh, paid off for the Giants. You know, well, all, he, that, he, all that early seasoning for Schwan. He ended up. He ended Schwan. up with the Mets too. By the uh, it was a waiver transaction. Yep. Uh, his sixty-two OPS plus. Was his second highest. <laughs> <as a coach. laughs> Sixty-two. He was a disaster. That's how many inches he is? Yep. Almost five foot two. Holy shit! But look at your boy Leon. Just, just stroking. Yeah. Just getting the job done. Yep. Smooth, smooth swinging Leon Durham. Eight twenty-two OPS. Day games every day out there rocking. Right. Right. I mean, he had his own supplements, you know, to keep him going. But you know, he, you're not competing if you don't. It's bull it's, produced. 100%. If, if Ken Caminiti has has taught us anything, you know, it's, if if everyone's on it, even yeah. Chico Walker, Ken and, Caminiti uh, died for that 1996 MVP, and some people will uh, say it was a noble death. Certainly, you know, hooked up to an IV in Mexico at some point that season, uh, right? Didn't that happen? It, 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 you know, it, it, in front of all those 1,200 people at Enron, you know, it was it was worth yeah. it. So how many All-Stars? How many All-Stars do you think the 85 Cubs had? Well, Sandberg had a backup Tommy fucking her. I think he was the only one, actually. He was the only one. Am I right? Yeah. 3.58 at the break, I think we've established. I know, I know. Or, you got you got to you got to make you know, way for the guy with a, with an Ian Happ like 3.58 yeah. with a double. With a trick, one double and one, it was ground rule. It hit, it hit it the astroturf just past second base, and it flew 300 feet in the air and landed out of bounds. And well, I mean, when Rhino came out of April batting as usual, 180. Yep. When right. you know her has doubled that, it's, it's yeah. Hard, you know, for voters at the time, it's hard to get over. News travels slowly in 1985. We were all out watching Back to the Future. Intention 24 oh, intentional walks for this Leon Durham. Wow. Was Bola batting behind him? Hmm. <laughs> oh no, he's wearing glasses. Oh god! <laughs> All right, <laughs> look out! Ball's going to the beach ball. So Moreland, who we mentioned, got MVP votes: three oh seven, three seventy four, four. Not a lot of slug. Four forty, fourteen homers. He drove in one hundred and six runs. Yeah, yeah. best clutch hitter we used to say. Tommy, her level. Yeah, kind Pretty of. Much. Almost. Tommy had one eleven that year, but. And eight home runs. That's so nuts. I, I I remembered it less charitably. I thought it was nine home runs and not like 101 RBIs. It was even more ridiculous. The, I think 87 was crazier because when you make RBI baseball and and you have Tommy Hur up there with 300 RBI and like two home runs, you don't know how to like – what attributes do you give that to <laughs> Pixelated player because they gave Vince Coleman the ability to hit you know inside the park home runs just by holding the bat out. Tommy Hur was like, how do we how do we represent his clutchness and his averageness at the same time? And uh, that's why I always pick the Cardinals. Jim Lindeman. He was power. 
He was power. He was the National League Dan Pasqua. Big kid. Yeah, Maine West finest. So uh, how many Cubs had double-digit wins in 85? I would have got this wrong because I always thought it was zero. Yeah, the um, 86 was the first non-strike team to not have double digits. So somebody creeped across. So I, I do think the answer is probably like 10 or 11, right, Andy? Whatever it is. Yep, it's 11. Oh, yeah. Is it uh, – it, was it wasn't Eckersley, it right? It was the Eck. Oh, okay. Because Sutcliffe went 8-8, eight and eight, I think. That's just nuts. For a, for a nearly average team, for a 77-win team. Yeah. <laughs> 32 guys with seven wins. They <laughs> baller tuning in with two. Lee Smith with seven wins because he averaged about four innings per outing. I bet sure. Then. 97 innings in 65 games. Finished 57 games, 33 saves. Larry Sorensen with one R. Correct. Three and seven. He was the only – he was also a Cardinal at one point along his stops, mm-hmm. but he uh, he was the one outside of the Brian D. Ray Fontenot arrival. He was like the, he was the one free agent signing, you know, coming into 85. Just to, just to further accentuate your point about the Cubs running it back out there and, you know, Dunstan over Boa. But that was that was the only difference. Larry Sorensen, Sean Dunstan, and then Brian Dayette, who started the season the minors, and Ray Fontenot. That's brutal. And then yeah. put and then talked on you know so everyone and then on Sports Illustrated drops a dime on Schwan, so everything's going to have to fall on him to be the you know the, yeah. the linchpin, the thing to turn it over. That's that's rough. That's rough. <laughs> who Twenty-two wrote, years old. Who wrote those recaps? I'm wondering. Rich Rafe. Firm right, I don't know. It's, it's oh, like Ron, a class. For, I remember Ron Fimright. Or Fimright, yeah. Yeah. I may have just been. I used to know all those SI writers back then. Oh, yeah. They'd make stars out of them in the back page. Andy, we have to do a uh, a, uh, a a cocoon with the with the Cubs coaching staff here. We have to do a Wolford Brimley here. Uh, Ruben oh, Amaro. Uh, not what? for the not for the person you'd think. Not for Don Zimmer. Billy Connors. Donnie Oates. Yeah, was, Johnny was, Oates, future was, Baltimore Orioles and Texas Rangers manager. So this means when he's 39 and 85, so that means he ran the Orioles looking like he was about 72 years old when he was 44 <laughs> years old. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, yeah. and and Zim, so this means Zimmer was 57 Unreal. during the classic 88 year. That's, wow. Don 88 Zimmer, or 85? Don Zimmer didn't look any different when he managed the Cubs than he did when he played for the Cubs. <laughs> He looked. He was. He looked fifty-five years old when he was twenty-eight, and when he was sixty-five, it didn't matter. That basically looked like a newborn his entire life. Pumpkin head with the big dent in it. And Jim Fry was only fifty-four. He she felt like he was three hundred years old. Right. Oh, oh my God. Panrath. He wore those little. Whenever they played a game on turf, he wore these little blue tennis shoes with his, yes. and he'd waddle out yes. the mound. Stupid, those stupid transition lenses and his. So his, it was all they're all like half dark because they, they couldn't tell. The lights would confuse them. The, they turn into sunglasses at the wrong time. It was. He's yeah, quite it's, t- it's time to take your base, but it's time to take the team photo, Jim. Oh, okay, gotta darken up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> gotta make it look like I'm spying on some mobsters. So who's your who, who's your favorite pitcher on the '85 Cubs? Was it? I'll give you some choices here. Was it Derek Bethello, uh, Dave Gumpert, 
or uh, oh, the great Ron Meredith. Hmm? A lot of talent. Yeah. When everybody gets hurt, you get everybody. It's kind of like the roster of the Royals are going to be breaking out in Canada this weekend. For this kids getting called <laughs> up from rookie ball because we need a shortstop. What? Uh, for me, it was Steve Trout because he looks he looked like all of my friends' aunts back then. He's just like, <laughs> oh, that's your aunt. For like me, uh, I'm going to go with uh, yeah, off the menu. Oh, also, Johnny, was it Johnny Abrego? And I'd like to go with former Cub. And present Cub in 85, pretty sure. Uh, Andy, can you confirm if Larry Gura, is he on that roster? Yes. Okay. So Larry Gura was the ace of the 1980 Royals, the, the World Series team of the uh, the Kansas City team, World Series team in the 80s that didn't win a World Series. They lost Jim Fry was their manager, and they lost to the Dallas Green and the Philadelphia Phillies. And Larry Gura was a Cy Young Award winner that year, and he had been a former Cub, I had been told, when I was a kid. And then – in 85, when all those pitchers went out, and they had to call up Jay Baller and Dave Engel and just, like, put together any kind of flot sim. There it is. There's Larry Gura, who was at the top of the world in the American League five years earlier. Hmm. Is He was probably already pretty old then. There was, like, his one shining moment there, like, late in his life. And I just remember watching a national televised game in 85. It was just so fucking depressing. He's just this old ass on a hot summer afternoon. And Larry Gurr's just getting fucking lit up like a Christmas tree. I don't think he won a game for the 85 Cubs. I just remember, like, how, like, undignified it looked like. I'm like, man, you weren't that good with the Cubs. You weren't that noteworthy with the Cubs in the 70s. And you went and you had this great career. You stayed away from Chicago. Now you're back and you're in the 85 Cubs. And you're just getting pounded. And it's just like, I just, that was Missouri, my, man. That was my impression. Yeah. He's what? Missouri does to people. It just just sucks the life right out of you. <laughs> but that's Western Missouri, Kelly. Yeah, uh, you know, it's I've been in both. Can you tell the difference? <laughs> All right, I got this. Will, the p- people at home are going to love this. It's This is a visual. I can, I'll find a way to put it in the post. I want you guys to look at two Cubs. Okay, so here is uh, here's Jerry Abrego. You see J- Johnny. Johnny. Johnny Abrego. Abrego. Can you see Johnny? <laughs> yes. Okay, now keep the, keep his picture in mind. And then I'm going to show you Derek Bethello. And I'm pretty sure the Cubs were just saving money on headshots. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just use the same one for everybody. So there you go. Just everybody, if they look like Mario, well, like the Mario brothers, then we could just it use the like same headshot for everybody. Band survivor. <laughs> so for those of you listening at home, are like, what? Uh, they looked exactly the same. Larry Gurr is from Joliet. Yeah, I thought he was an Illinois guy because I do remember uh, a girl went to our junior high that was, and her last name was Gurr that was supposedly related to him. Yeah, so he was like a local guy, much like Jim Lindemann from Maine West. Any of you guys go ever try to uh, stake out Rick Russell's house in Arlington Heights when you were seven? Yeah. Because the Giants got in a fight with the Cardinals. Was that you? Just just me? Any guys do that? I did that. Look. Just, just ride the old bike around Arlington Heights looking for what you think is Rick Russell. You may have. Bill, Bill, Bill Buckner uh, also lived in Arlington Heights. And I, I only know that because um, in the early 80s in Oak Grove, because I grew up in Oak Grove, which is right next to Arlington Heights, there was a very trendy workout room that happened to uh, open up a retail outlet in Oak Grove. It's called Nautilus. Anybody? Andy, remember Nautilus? Oh, yeah. It was, it oh, was yeah. like the, uh, I don't know, the Bally's of the uh, early 80s. 
and my brother, uh, who was only in high school, he must have used like my parents, um, you know, membership, but he went to work out at Nautilus. He was a high school player at Elk Grove. He's like 17 years old. And he told me that Bill Buckner was working out there. And I said, well, did you get an autograph? And he's like, no, it's fucking working out. What am I going to bother him for an autograph for? So ever since then, I've always been a little, yeah, what a, you know, the people that go for autographs, it kind of left an impression on me. But yeah, it just I, I bring that up only to uh, illustrate the point that apparently a lot of Cubs in the early '80s were living in Arlington Heights. So, Kelly, you didn't have to settle for Rick Russell's place. You could have, uh, you could have stumbled across uh, Junior Kennedy yeah, or somebody. Paul, Paul, yeah. Paul was living in the basement. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul was in Rick's garage. So was Big Daddy throwing down? Is that why? I mean, was that was he was he swinging in that fight? I, I think he would. No, I, I can't remember. And, I can't and you know, it's eighty seven. So you, but no, he's he's got the he's got the next seven years of his career protect. He's got. Yeah, I don't know, about but you got what the uh, the infamous starting that all star game. The infamous fight from about I don't know like three weeks ago between the Mariners and the Angels. I don't know if you saw the highlights of that fight, where the Mariners now can't lose after the fight and the Angels can't win, but they had a great shot. Somebody. Had an isolated camera on Shohei during the fight. So he's in the dugout. Everybody gets in a thing. Shohei pops out of the dugout and just kind of like hops around at the very edge of the fight because he needs to be out there, but nobody wants him in the fight. You know, nobody wants to. He's their, you know, one of the best hitters in the game and one of the best pitchers. You don't need to get him hurt. Uh, I pictured Rick Russell like getting to the top step and just kind of like going, all right, that's enough. I'm, I made. I somehow made it up here. I'm gonna go yeah. sit down. <laughs> just remember, I didn't stay. I didn't sit in the dugout the whole time. I got to the top step. I knew when I walked into Hot Dogs for the first time, and they had the Rick and Paul Russell for for sale. I knew. I knew I was at home. That's good. Um, okay, so looking at the '85 Cardinals, there's not as many bums to make fun of, but that doesn't mean there aren't some. Um, I know Daryl Porter was the catching star in the playoffs, but Tom Nieto actually got more starts during the regular season at catcher than Daryl did. Because, of course, Daryl uh, disappeared for you know, a while. Was he still battling drinking problems in 85? I thought he was recovered by then. I'll tell you. All well, I can no. say is no. AstroTurf, man. AstroTurf. <laughs> Black top 160 games a year. It's, you know. Right. Yeah, we think it's all veteran stadium and, and people tearing their ACLs, but it's it's that heat coming off of there. It just messes with you. So do you know how many home runs the 85 Cardinals hit? That's a good question. I'm going to make less than 100. Jack Clark hit 22. And how many did the – but how many total did the Cardinals hit? Jesus, it could, it could be less than 50. It could be. I just I just looked it up. It's, it's Is laughable. it less than 75? No, it's more than 75, but not by much. Less less than 100. Yeah. 87. Yeah. Wow. Every other game, we get one homer. That not feels even. like a lot when you put it that way. True, but, yeah. They might have had some inside the Parkers, too. How many over-the-wall homers do they have? Now, we talked about Tito Landrum and Mike Jorgensen. Uh Oh, so Lonnie Smith started the season. I didn't realize he got shipped out during the season. Uh, to the Royals. To the Royals, because he could play every day, they said. You gotta, we got to win-win. How about this? If it's, Do you know who he got traded for? Oh, me? No. Orsh? No. He got traded no, he was a 
for the no. all-time leading receiver in Bears history. He got traded for John Morris. Johnny Morris? Morris? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It'd be funny uh, if he got traded true. for Jim Morris and it was actually, the, it really was the guy from The Rookie. Yes. Like he's so old this. he got traded in 1985 for Lonnie Smith. I forgot there are two Johnny Morrises in my life in 1987. That's right. The guy in your TV every night at, at about yeah. nine, you know, at 10, 22. Every night Concert hairspray and his... Uh, oh, yeah. Throwing it to yes. Jeannie. Whitey Herzog said if, if there was a DH in the National League, then Lonnie Smith would have retired a Cardinal. Which... Wow. Wow. Seems... seems uh, I mean, there's no way Whitey would have ever voted for a, uh, a DH in the National League because that would have meant Lonnie Smith would have had to retire a Cardinal. <laughs> I'm, I'm not buying that. Yeah. Oh, we, we also we also had Kurt Ford too, the famous one right. letter off from Kurt Flood, right? <laughs> he uh, Kurt Flood, uh, Kurt Ford, Kurt Ford was in the uh, starting lineup in the 1989 opening day Cubs Phillies game. But we discovered Andy. Oh yeah. By then, he had moved on to Philadelphia. By the way, Lonnie Smith, career war 38-5, just shy of the Harold Baines low bar 38-8. Otherwise, Lonnie Smith would be a Harold Baines Hall of Fame. Oh, of course. That that Hall of Fame selection looks better and better all the time. Every year. Steve Braun. 37-year-old Steve Braun was still hacking around. He's He's broken in in 1971. He He's not related to uh, Ryan Braun, is he? That would have been established. Grandfather. Okay. Yeah. I do remember my Steve Braun tops card in the Cardinals. It was a very up close one. Steve Braun is most similar, according to Baseball Baseball Reference, to Milt Thompson, who is not Kurt Ford. I repeat, Kurt <laughs> Ford is not Milt Thompson. You might confuse them, but they are not the same player. But is he Ray Langford? Uh, no, Ray Langford would be the one swinging from his heels <clears throat> in this situation. <sighs> I tried to make a Ray Langford jersey when I was a kid. Didn't work out. Had a had a, had a generic to... Cardinal jersey. <laughs> tried to write whatever I to... number on. I, I tend to think of Milt Thompson more as a Brave. I forget that he was a Cardinal, but thanks for that, Kelly. <sighs> they traded Gerald Perry for Milt Thompson. Yeah, Mike oh. Lavalier. Now it's full circle. Yeah, what happened to Jeff Laddie? So Lavalier is the catcher that um, failed to get Sid Bream on and Barry Bonds' soft ass throw to walk off the '92 uh, LCS. So who would have Lavalier? Can you answer me this, Kelly? Who did the Cardinals uh, acquire from Mar- Mike Lavalier? Uh, Pena, for, uh, Mike Ooh. Mike Dunn, Andy Van Slyke, Mike Dunn, who went on to a good oh, rookie Van year Slyke. in '87. Got Andy it, Van Slyke. Yeah, good call. Bad call. Bad call from Mark. Well, bad call. Bad, bad call, for Max, but yeah. Not yeah. going to feel not going to feel bad for for you having to suffer through the Joe Torre era, which is really the only mediocre era you guys have had. Oh, that, was, yeah. that was that was some <clears throat> eighty seven home runs would have been a dream in those years. <laughs> the the eighty five Cardinals had another catcher who went on to play uh, a long time in the big leagues and won a World Series. Brian Harper. Played on the '85 Cardinals. He was a catcher for the '91 Twins. Twins. So I didn't even realize that. Yeah, pitching wise, the great Jeff Lottie. Uh, what did he do to lose that job? I wonder. 
because you know he's one eighty. He's got a one eighty four ERA. He must be cruising. Something must have happened. Where you know, I see this is before you could text while driving. So all these guys survived, and I don't know, like if just something happened behind the scenes. I got a paywall for the St. Louis Post through the, and I could. How does Vince Coleman make it all year? Oh, Vince Coleman made sixty thousand dollars a year. Good for him. Wow, that was probably the league minimum, I believe. They had they had a holdout in '85, I believe. Cecil Fielder was a rookie that year because they used him as an example of a guy making the minimum. Uh, um, there was actually like a, a brief interruption uh, during the season, like a lockout for like three games. Any lockout. But yeah, the minimum salary, I'm almost sure, it was sixty thousand in 1985. So Ozzy was already making 1.4 million. Those were good for him. Yeah. Modern numbers. It's it's a lot of bush beer, you know. It's, so one tenth of one percent of a of products worth of material and hops and water and barley in the form of a bush twelve pack, and then sell it for five ninety nine. That's that's it's money you can spend on the Wizard of Oz. This is a great team. I don't know what happened to it. Look at all these guys in their twenties. Tom Nieto, former Cub Bill Campbell pitched fifty games for the Cardinals. Soup, because it's by law. Yep. That has to be your nickname. So he got tried. Soup. Was Dave Campbell the ESPN commentator who was very good? Was he also yeah. nicknamed Soup? Oh, yeah, right? yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, long t- was he longtime Brave? I remember his Brave. Joe Baver. Joe oh, Baver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, leave it, uh, Chris Berman, leave it to Baver. Should not be on the Cardinals. He should be on the Braves for all of his career. Yeah. That's that's <clears throat> Miss Brown. He got traded to the Braves for the great Randy O'Neill. Trade that really helped everybody. Uh, that's about it. Matt Keogh, Pat Perry. Is that the Pat Perry that pitched for the Cubs? Yep, eighty nine Cubs. Yeah. Yep, he was also a Red. And I think the Cubs got him from the Reds. We just you unearthed it. I forget for whom, but yeah. Oh, Todd Royal yeah. only has three put outs we, we did the entire year. He got traded for your favorite player. Leon Durham. Pat That's Perry right. For Leon Durham. Know that. That's right. I've always wanted how Van, why did Leon have to fall off so hard with the Reds? You know, they traded him. He's supposed to replace Nick and it just and that, it just fell right. off like a and that, was his home, and that was his hometown. I mean, it was a story just waiting to be told. Because Park, Dave Park, went back there and raked. He did. Like you say, he was a runner-up. He was the MVP runner-up this season. Do you remember who Leon finished up with? Back with the Cardinals, I believe. He went home for the Cardinals. He was a star for them in 1989. He hit 056 with an RBI in 2019. I'm glad Leon's still alive. He was my favorite Cub. Uh, he's number ten before Ron Santo, and uh, yeah, after still around. He probably you know blew through a lot of his pen, you know, a lot of his savings, but you know, he's still here. He's still with us. God bless you, Bull. Yeah, he, he you know put put outs from from the outfield from Andre Dawson. You know, just, I mean, he's on he the, was a hi- right classic highlights in MLB that happened history. in '87 against Kelly Downs was the batter for the Giants, but yeah, oh, okay. so they got a pitcher. 
I didn't know that. That's no, that's all right. He may have done it more than once. I don't know did it with a position player, but and of course Durham was originally a Cardinal. I mean, you know, you get you guys liked him. You, you had to give him up for Bruce Suter. So yeah, he you know well he was insurance in case we had to put Pedro at third base. Well, and he was also blocked by Hernandez. Cubs got around that because they had Buckner. They just put him in the outfield. And that was the only two times he made the All Star game was as an outfielder. But he was a good first baseman. Game five in San Diego, notwithstanding. That was a fluke. So do you remember the, the change that happened to the playoffs in 1985? Yes, they went from five best of five to best of seven. You're, you're too late for the Cubs. That was, thank you. Yeah. That was great. Ah, thanks. Thanks, Peter. You were off. Or Bowie Coon. So the Cardinals would have lost that NLCS. Went down uh, they would have had home field, though. It would have opened in L.A. It was a weird thing. The best of five series back then was the team that had home field advantage started on the road. The Cubs opened in Wrigley, but did not have home field advantage because it was 2-3, not 2-2-1. Two, two, you know, is that, that's, they don't do that in basketball, right? They don't do it in hockey. Oh, no. It's so weird. Yeah. So it opened in Wrigley, and then, all right, well, you get a chance to win two games, and then you just got to win one on the road. And yeah, and it didn't make any sense. You know, they were – Uberoth was piss, pissing and moaning that they were going to take. Um... They had announced that had the Cubs actually made the playoffs, which the 13-game losing streak rendered moot, had they gone to the playoffs, they would have had to play their and gone to the World – I think any all playoff games, not just the World Series, would have been played in Bush Stadium, not even Comiskey Park. I'm pretty sure that's a fact. So and what didn't make any what didn't make any sense about the year before in '84 was the Cubs with the lights played the weekday games, yeah, and then they went to San Diego for the weekend. I mean, you could have switched it, and then you're you're because that was those the those could have been the prime games, right? You got better ratings on the weekend for the Cubs at home. But back then, home field was predetermined, and it was supposed to be the NL West at home field advantage, so it would have required them to like change the whole baseball. That was fun. Bud was still touting this crap back when um, they when he was insisting they couldn't just give the World Series to the team with the best record. But he was like, oh no, we have to make all these uh, hotel arrangements. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you don't know what fucking city you're going to anyway, so what does it matter? <laughs> it sounds- and Bud's like, no, no, we you don't understand. We just buy out every, all 30 <laughs> cities, we just buy out their hotel rooms. That's how we're, you know, that's why there's going to be a lockout and a strike this year. Ah, uh, baseball. That's just the greatest. Dave Johnstone was on this Dodger team that the Cardinals beat. Ah, oh, or the, yeah, Cardinals. Wow. And it, they, were, they were supposed to be a middle of the pack team, and I can see why people thought that. And it's just another one of these annoying ass Cardinal teams where these guys just get hot as heck in the middle of the summer, and then they end up winning parking a hundred games, hundred wins, and uh, then we got to hear about them all the time. Well, let's see. When did they? Uh, they were in f- fourth place as late as well when they beat the Cubs on June fourteenth, eleven to ten. They moved into third place, uh, but it was pretty tight because by the twenty-first they were in first place, and they basically they took over first place for good. It looks like on the 29th of June. Oh, they did slip out again. Well, they, they were fighting the Mets August. down the stretch. Yeah. So they were in. Let's see. They were in second place on September thirteenth. They were a half game behind the Mets, and then they um, they were eighty. 
84 and 55. So they went 17 yeah, a, and... Well, they, they, they went to Chicago, six. so they got the, the, the ship straightened out. Yeah. They got some wins. Yeah, anytime, and, they, uh, needed, anytime they needed they, they, some wins, John Tudor shot out the Cubs. That's right. Well, no, this was a... Uh, what do we got here? Your buddy uh, Dave Campbell. No, Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell shut out the Cubs. Ray Fontenot, he... No, he he scattered seven in five innings, scattered seven hits, but uh, it wasn't enough. No, Kepshire was a starting pitcher. Yeah, Fontenot was supposed to just be the there. He was going to be the the lefty, the crafty lefty in the bullpen, and he ended up having to start because everybody got hurt, and they right. did a little of both. And he wasn't very good anyway. Good old number thirty-one. Yeah, Not as good as, his, the the Cubs. as his nephew, Jerry, who played for the Bears. Or Albert. Oh. All, yeah, that's right. Well, Albert and Jerry were brothers, right? Well, Albert was, Albert was a brother. Just like, just, just like Vance and Rudy Law. They were twins. This Kurt Kepshire exactly. guy that won 10 games for the Cardinals and I'm sure pitched to the World Series was out of baseball the next year. Out, maybe, of, out of the majors. Maybe he just he's like oh, I'll never I, I'll, it'll, things will never get better. I'm walking Nothing away. Nothing gets on, better than I'm walking away on top. Trekking, yeah. trekking those five star hotels between St. Louis and Kansas City. Oh my gosh, that's just that's the life. Yeah. You wouldn't. Kepshire beat the Cubs at the end of a skid in late September of '84 when they kind of had the division wrapped up, but still people were getting nervous, and then. He definitely had, I'm pretty sure, two of the wins in that 13-game losing streak. There was a while where Kirk Hepshire was the bane of our existence. I, I, I assure you. Fucker. He pitched in 51 big league games ever. So he must have. Typical Cub killer. Barely barely play. I'll never forget you. Kind of like. Uh, pretty much. Kind of like Victor Diaz. If you, uh, if you're visiting. Huey's Twitter page. <laughs> if you're if you're considering following Mike Donahue, I swear to gosh, they have a, a, a people the people you might want to follow right underneath it is Jeff Lousy. I swear to gosh. There you go. Maybe what you the fuck? Tweet about him. I swear Are you serious? I swear. Kind of algorithm is going on around yeah, here. Yeah, really. Why is Jeff Blasner on Twitter to begin with? So you just must have said something about him at 4 I have made ran- I'm like, sure I've made random references to him, but certainly not his handle. I mean this this podcast. There's there's a Blouser reference in every one of these podcasts because he's you know career seven forty nine against the Cubs, right? And he's um, yeah a, a Cub killer who the Cubs thought would be a good idea to sign and then was absolute ass. Scanner Sanderson was kind of like. Oh, because Sanderson came up with Montre- Montreal. Forsh and Sanderson kind of had a thing. Big, tall, lanky guys who were just... Oh, Forsh has passed on. Well, I guess that makes sense. So is Sanderson. Yeah, let's Wait, did you just... Dead or alive on all these guys. Right. We're, not, we're not doing that. But I didn't know Bob Forsh was dead. Shit, oh, I feel bad now. These guys are... 2011. This was almost 40 years ago. Yeah, 30. these guys are all past... We've seen what 54 years did to Don Zimmer. Right. Imagine what 61 years is doing to Bob Forsh. Uh, by the way, Jeff yeah, Blauser, OPS plus with the Cubs, 79. Jason Hayward's 
85. I'm pretty sure wow. Jason can get a below 79 before the end of the year, before the end of his contract. Officially become the worst. Uh, oh, Larry Boa had a 61, remember? Yeah, but Larry was bringing it with the glove. True. In the range. Yeah. Getting, he was in the leadership, too. In the leadership, He's right. In the red solid ass voice. It's like, what's uh, that noise? Is, is there so like a kid underneath the seat stuck? Is someone, is someone, is this, you know, no, it's Larry. It's Larry. And uh, he hasn't shaved. <laughs> I didn't know Art Howe could play baseball. That's that's fantastic. He did, yeah. He was an old Astro, too. Well, yeah, he was career. kind of a, he was kind of an old Astro when he worked for the A's too. Just ask Billy Bean; he'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love these talks. Every time we have one, I leave reinvigorated from my love of the game or whatever it is he says to Art when he saunders out of his office. <laughs> Three thirty-five on base for the Cardinals that year. That's that's how it's done. That's your pennant that's winner, huh? Ninety-six caught stealing out of three hundred fourteen stolen bases. 150 more stolen bases than the next best competitor, the Chicago Cubs, who had 182. Yeah, that's, that's four. Missouri math, I apologize. That's 400 attempts in a season, so it's like, like three attempts a game, which is, you know, which is unheard of today, but every three stolen <sighs> bases. Cubs are 182 to 49 stolen bases cost stealing. Padres, that you were 60 and 39. 314 stolen bases in a season. Goodness gracious, sex alive. Well, it comes to 182, and Davey Lopes was 47 of that. And Stanbrook had over 50, right? Yeah. That's basically it. That's a lot of, a lot of it, two guys doing most of the work. <laughs> and one of them was 40 years old. That seems like a recipe for success. I mean, every four days. Till, you know, <laughs> except in Atlanta, where they took him down. They did. Yeah, the, the Fulton County Stadium that has that right. doesn't even know it has a baseball team is gonna is gonna bring the hoses out because you know we got like Maury. Well, I mean, there. they killed two birds with one stone. They Davy Lopes's record, and they pretty much truncated Rick Sutcliffe's uh, follow up performance in '85. So maybe they were still trying to uh, reinvigorate the grass from Billy White Shoes Johnson doing this um, touchdown dance. Maybe he had torn up the sod so bad. The runoff ended up in the base path between first and second unintentionally, (laughs) and it ruined the Cubs season. Half of that Dire Straits video with all the sports highlights was just Billy White Johnson (laughs) traipsing all over the field to kill Rick Sutcliffe. You mean the one that begins with Steve Fuller grabbing a football out of a bag? That was Fuller? Yes, it was the Redskins game that Andy and I Pardon me while I throw this four and a half yards. That's right. And Willie Galt runs at 93. It was the RFK game in 84. If you look at it, next time you see it, it's Steve Fuller, not Jim McMahon. Immortalized in Mark Knopfler's uh, Dire Straits video. Well, yeah, I mean, McMahon needed two hands to pick up the football. That's why we're the gloves. I'm, I'm sorry, the guy didn't have quarterback hands. I love him. Well, he wasn't Dave Forrest, Craig. Forrest Craig can rot in hell, but you know he he had he had a uh, not quarterback hands. <laughs> Bobby Dernier with thirty-one stolen bases. What kind of decade was this? I ask. Very different. You should know. You're a Cardinals fan. I know, but jeez, this was man flying all over these base paths. 
frankly, how did we beat this team with Billy Hatcher and Thad Bosley? <laughs> This is this is a strong outfit. I like it in '86. I'm looking forward to '86. I think this team's got a chance. I think it was just you know injuries, bad luck, you know. Sure. Of course, as we've chronicled, '86 would be one of the seven worst seasons in the last forty. So things actually got worse before. Kelly probably is the most depressing of all the podcasts. (laughs) But you're thinking right along with the Cubs. Going, ooh, no, just some bad luck last year. We're fine. Right, yeah. Keep everybody. That's, that's exactly it. Changes. Yeah. I'm looking, if you, I mean, if you look at it, if you look at the 85 roster, like in the you know, baseball reference, sorts it by whoever plays the most, but 86 is still Jody, or it's yeah, still Jody Davis, Leanne Durham, Ryan Sabrick, Sean Dunson, Ron Say, Gary Matthews, Bob Dernier, Keith Moreland. 86 Cubs, entirely identical to the 85 Cubs, a team that was already breaking down with yeah. broken well, points and old age. I mean, we knew the 84 Cubs, with a few exceptions, were old. And yes. they were three years later with the same guys. Yes. But Dallas Green just trying to keep his finger in the dike. I got I got prospects coming on the way. Just 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 bear with me. Dunstan's not the only one. He's going to get better. Soon you'll have Dave Martinez and Raphael Palmero and Mark Grace. But wait yet. until you see yeah. Damon Berryhill. Yeah, Damon Berryhill. You don't, don't have to worry about Jody Davis forever. Got Lester <laughs> Lancaster. Well, That's he right. so he likes less, but he also likes Lester. We don't know. They're both creepy. We don't like any of them. We try to get him the go to the middle name the entire time, yeah. and also he grew a mustache this year, so we're going to keep him down in, in time. That's right. <laughs> and the, the two things he'll be most remembered for was uh, it was a bunt, right? It was a walk off bunt against the Giants on Monday Night Baseball. Is that what he did, or was it just a he had a hit? I no, forget. a triple. I triple. Oh, a triple. I was at that game, but That's we left right. her. Yeah, triple. And then, uh, but and then not remembering what the count was in uh, in San Francisco. Uh, yes, in the playoff game. But now that you mentioned a walk-off bunt, can I finish? Because this totally happened in 1985 because I remember right. going to my own Perfect capper at two and a half hours. Cubs played the Cardinals. All right? So this is uh, this is what I like to call a full circle. Uh, the game would have been – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the date, but I'm going to bullshit while we get there. But this is hilarious. Uh, it was a Cubs-Cardinals uh, game, I want to say, in late July. It was sometime around the time that Arlington Park burned down. Because remember Arlington Park? was like on fire at one point uh, during the 85 a year. And then they, they had to cancel the rest of the season. So it was sometime around that point, Cubs Cardinals um, Cubs are kind of out of it. It's well after that 13 game losing streak, but the game goes extra innings. So if you can find a Cubs Cardinals game at Wrigley and it went pretty long. So it might've been like 12, 13 innings. And this is what I remember about this game is that uh, the much discussed Larry Boa. And I don't know if he had his, um, you know, his big hairy carry glasses on or whatever <laughs> playing. But I am, it wasn't on a Saturday. It wasn't the walk-off. That was in St. Louis anyway. But Larry Boa comes up on Thursday, August 1st. I know this is the game. And it was a 14-inning uh, game, so it was pretty long. In the ninth inning, or 14, I'm sorry, in the 14th inning, Larry Boa comes up. If you look at it uh, on the play-by-play, and I'm not looking at it, I'll just tell you that basically early in the count, Jim, there's a runner on third. I believe there's only one out. It had to be because otherwise it'd make no sense. But they, Jim Fry asked Larry Boa to lay down a bunt, and he fouled it off. And then there are two strikes. And then that little fucker in his wiffle bat kept fouling off a bunch of pitches. So after 
two hours and 20 minutes or whatever <laughs> said of us just piling on Larry Bow. I'm just going to say he did one thing, which was kind of not easy to do, but with two strikes in like 20 pitches uh, from the aforementioned Ken Daly, uh, Ken Daly Larry Bow laid down a successful game-ending walk-off sacrifice suicide. Sorry, not a sacrifice, but a suicide squeeze uh, to score Keith Moreland, of all people. Yep. So, yeah. Man. Yeah, Tom, that's, Tom uh, Nito couldn't handle the throw. It was Tom Daryl Porter couldn't handle the. Uh... Well, it's fourteen innings. Daryl might have been at Murphy's. Yeah, at yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it was Daryl because he struck. Out, he struck out to okay. end the top of the fourteenth. Okay, I just found out by Ron, why Ron Say is that guy's favorite Cubs because Ron Say was the highest paid Cub all those years. So, oh, probably big tipper. There you go. Even even if he's only tipping, even if he's a terrible tipper, it's, it's just a change coming out yeah. of his pockets is going to be enough. Yeah, and, and even though baseball reference doesn't provide, I can guarantee you that Larry Boa's uh, game-ending suicide did come with two strikes. You know, pretty ballsy. So that's the one good thing I'll say about Larry Boa. Beat the Cardinals with a two-strike walk-off set, uh, suicide squeeze. I wonder, was that his um, – that had to be close to his last game. Right. That's true. They carry him yeah, off they... the field and to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> onto the 152 Addison bus, which would take him to the blue. Uh, they didn't call it the blue line then, but somehow got him out of town. Yeah. Could not have been much longer after that. Cause I remember, even though we didn't care for Larry Boa and we're like, we wanted Sean Dunson to succeed. Uh, we felt a little bit betrayed that he would sign with the Mets to finish the season. Like, fuck you, Larry. On a two, two pitch, Boa bunted to daily who threw wildly to the plate as Moreland slid home safely. There you go. Earning Kelly, every bit of those MVP votes. Kelly found the recap. Love it. Larry's last game of the Cup was August, was just 11 days later. <laughs> <laughs> August 11th or August 12th. But this is great. See, the Cubs, Cubs were clutch when Larry played coming down the stretch. So they won that game. Then they beat the Mets. Then they, uh, the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The next seven times Larry played, they lost. But he went out a winner, 8-7 win over the Expos, and then he got released. And it took him 11 days to catch on with the Mets. He's like, hey, somebody's going to want me, right? Uh, and he was great uh, for the Mets. Huge pickup for them. Probably the reason the Cardinals won the, um, won the division. Larry hit 105 for the Mets down the stretch. God, why was he even – what did they even need him for? Bring up like a seventeen-year-old Kevin Elster instead of him, or something like that. You know, bring up, bring up Jeff, Greg Jeffries from eighth grade. They had they had Raphael Santana. I wonder if he got hurt. Could not hit and still would have been way better. What about Ron Gardenhire? Was he not an eighty-five Matt? I feel like Santana and Gardenhire split the duties. And they had Backman and, and first uh, Calvin Chapman in 84, and then Backman and Tim Tuffle in 85. They, they, their whole middle infield was a, like a platoon. How the fuck? Well, I guess they had Gooden and Darling and Sid Fernandez. But, man, it's amazing. Kind of funny to think about. This Larry Bowie real... game was a six-hour game. Oof. Wow. Six hours of greatness. Yeah, Ron Gardenhire hit 179 for the 85 Mets. Maybe that's, well, that's why, why they, they, that's why they hired Larry, Larry Ball. Ball. Oh, this will bring, it, this will bring it full circle. Uh, 1985, they had a scrappy young outfielder playing for those Mets who got uh, got two hits and eight at-bats, Billy Bean. Uh, oh. Struck out 17 times. Yep. Somehow struck out 17 times and eight at-bats, which was possible for him. 
All right, I think we, uh, I think we did what we set out to do. <laughs> if people weren't entertained, this was more entertaining than the '85 Cubs season. Probably not as entertaining as '85 Cardinal season, but you know, who cares? They've played me that way for 16 years, Boa said. I've got nearly 2,200 hits, so I must be getting some balls in somewhere. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Some of us. We can't finish with a finer quote than that. Balls in somewhere. He did have 2,000 hits because I do have a top space. Yeah, he played 20 years. Larry Boa has 2,000 hits, right. He He played every day for 20 years. Of course he got 2,000 hits. (laughs) I love that he's hanging his hat on that. Basically, I didn't get hurt. And he didn't have 2,200 hits. He rounded up. He had 2,161. (laughs) (laughs) Must have. Some balls get through. <laughs> right. Some of Michael us. Scott. Oh, that's like, how you look at. That might have been. Ooh. All right. One last thing here before we go. Got to check this. Because he did, he was barely playing. So that hit against the Cardinals. In his 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 butt. Was his it a second hit? hit of the game? No, it was, I was thinking maybe it was his last hit as a Cub. It wasn't. Okay. Uh, but he only got two hits for the Mets. So he was. It was one, two, four. Just about, just about one of his last. He only had he only had eight more hits in the big leagues after that bunt. <laughs> he should have just. He really should have just gone home after that. Just said, "All right." The Cardinals hey. pitched out. The Cardinals pitched out on uh, on one, one and two. Oh, they, they, they stole the sign. There was a big Very. meeting at the mound. Very clever. This is wow. this this whole Larry Bowen bat is like four hours of the six hour game. Hey, well, <laughs> I swear to God, look, we were like chugging along Tui Avenue from like Higgins all the way to like Northwest Highway. And I swear, I think you're right, Kelly, that entire at bat broadcast. Yeah. And with Dwayne stats on the call, no doubt. I would guess the Cubs bunt sign in 1985 was Jim Fry going, bunt! Yeah. <laughs> I think we got, Whitey, I think we have their signs. Zimmer is in the coach's boxes using elaborate semaphores to relay phrase and surprise instruction. And so, and so Zimmer touches parts of his body that he can't see without a mirror. Uh, Owen steps out of the batter's box and stares at Zimmer. Zimmer flails away at himself with enough energy to leave scars. Uh, quote, I think Zim and I were the only ones who knew the single signals, Boa said. Wow, this is... Who wrote this? It must be Holtzman. No, Lincecum. Ah, who else? That's fantastic. That's a good find, Kelly. Now, once they, you know, the Tribune, they, 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 they threw some in there. They, 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 they had some, they had some hitters. They, they had nearly twenty-two hundred hits. They had some balls in there somewhere, as Larry would say. All right. Well, thank you, Kelly. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad you. Yeah. Thanks, Katie. Thank, Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Mike. Showed up. And Mike, as always, good job. Enjoyed next, it. Next time we do this, we'll be back to wheel spinning. It's funny that we make a big deal out of spinning the wheel, and then we don't. But everybody, when they before they listen to the podcast, they know what year it is. <laughs> right. There's no drama. It says right on it, because I need people it's to It's always drama to for us, too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and we have, this, we, we have this innate ability in the little chat we do before to basically guess, I mean, we just talk about, we'll talk about something, I'll spin the wheel, and it'll land on something related to what we were talking about, which I think right. always sounds oh, fixed. 
to the group, to the uh, fans, but it's not. Although they don't really care that we spin the wheel anyway. No. Well, when they're bringing back 39-year-old Gary Matthews every year, these things kind of blend in with each other. I mean, it's it's you know, there's a, there's a bit of crossover with these these outfits. Absolutely. And we're happy for it as fans because oh my gosh, I don't know how you guys are doing this and the Bears, you know, the coaching searches and the various <laughs> Uh, hang in there, fellas. Hang in there. Hey, we're almost done. We only got uh, six to go. Yep. Six we, out of 32 okay. Cubs seasons. But then we got a whole – We the Bears have a bunch of new opponents this year. So Yeah, NFC East. We'll never run out of crap, ever. <laughs> so. Such is life. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Many of us have herpes.